The Big Scary Show is brought to you in part by Dark Imaginings. Web design, creepy changing portraits, and much, much more. DarkImaginings.com Welcome, boys and ghouls. It's time once again to kick open the old mausoleum door and see what climbs out. Clawing his way out of a fetid grave is Drew, a.k.a. Rabid Badger. Pull up a slab with Jim Millspaw in his award-winning role as the Professor of Torture, Meat Hook Jim. Jason Storm is here as fan favorite, gothic commentator, Storm. Do you smell something burning? It must be Salem's favorite old crone, Jonna Summers. <laughs> now light a torch, grab your pitchfork, and make like a bunch of terrified villagers. You found another episode of The Big Scary Show! <laughs> We're there! You've made it! The 2023 haunt season is reaching its crescendo! We're at the big end of it! And, amazingly enough, at the exact same time, The Big Scary Show is reaching a milestone episode. This is a big one, so we got a lot of fun and some really neat things coming at you to close out the haunt season. Uh, first of all, Badger will have deadline news. All the important things you need to know for the end of this Hanson. It's here. It's there. Badger's got it for you. In addition, he's got some great interviews to a couple of haunts he's gone out to this season. This will include Sweet Dreams, Scare House, and the Mad World Haunted Attractions in South Carolina. That should be a lot of fun. Badger is always great, especially the live interviews at haunts at this time of year. In addition, Meat Hook Jim has a wonderful Between the Corpses for you with innovations of the guillotine. Yeah, you know, you, you know, it's not easy to chop off a head, and sometimes you got to figure out a better way to do it. Weister is continuing his segment for this Halloween season. You don't want to miss that. Uh, in addition, Jonah the Old Crone has some... Halloween ghost stories for you this episode in Ask the Old Crone. Looking forward to that. That's going to be awesome. Uh, I got some rantings with Haunt Minute. Um, are we getting a little too good with our haunt displays? Uh, maybe, maybe not. You know, how how fooled is the public getting? Uh, in addition to that, we have all kinds of, you know, great haunt music. Uh, some things to get you in the Halloween mood. And speaking of Halloween mood... We have the Round Table of Terror, and we love talking about the history of Halloween, where it's going, the haunt industry, so we've pulled in a couple of great experts, experts in the haunt industry who've been doing haunts for a while, authors. We're going to talk to Lisa, Neil, and Beth, and the hosts will be going over some of the things going on this year haunts, where haunts have been, what has gotten these experts into Halloween themselves, how's it match up with 
you know, other haunters, and what's going on with Halloween and haunting uh, industry itself in the future. A great conversation on the Roundtable of Terror. In addition, we got a gruesome giveaway winner, all kinds of funs and games, on this episode 300 of The Big Scary Show. The barrier between life and death is no greater than the thickness of a door. Now, the door is open. What do you want? An ancient house, a phantom car, a terrifying confrontation with evil. Trish Vandevere, Joseph Cotton, The Hearse, a classic experience in fright. From Crown International Pictures, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. All right, this is Jerry Vane at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo in Denver, Colorado. Uh, it's October 7th, and I am at the Dead Darling Boutique with Kayla. Kayla, how are you doing? Pretty good. How are you? All right. Um, it's been pretty busy since we got here. Since we got here. Yeah. I, I will let you ladies go up. Um, tell us a little bit about your company while you're ringing up. <laughs> See if I can multitask. There you go. Okay, so tell, me, tell us a little bit about what you guys do. Um, so we make scary movie-inspired packaged food mixes. Um, everything has cool labels and very unique flavors. What are some of your... What are the ones that people are going, okay, this is... we got to get this one, besides everything. Besides everything. We do have some bestsellers. Um, our number one bestseller is Tiramisu. It's a Tiramisu-flavored brownie mix. And it has espresso in it, so it's super rich, pairs real nice with a big old scoop of vanilla ice cream. I see the barbecue sauces and everything over here. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to go into debt later. <laughs> now, if people want to uh, find you online, where can they find you? They can find me at um, deaddarlingboutique.com. And then, of course, we have social media. It's Dead Darling Boutique on all of them, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. Great. Thank you for taking time to talk to us, uh, and hopefully everything seems to be working. The internet in here is lovely. <laughs> anyway, this is Jerry Bain for The Big Scary Show. I'm out. Thank you. Hey, everybody. This is Wicked Wendy, special correspondent and makeup goddess with The Big Scary Show. Just wanted to wish you all a very scary Halloween. Please be safe tricking and treating everybody this uh, Halloween, and enjoy yourself and have a uh, howling good time. Looking to step up your costume? CFX products perform in every environment. Film, haunted attractions, stage shows, theme parks, cosplay, and good old-fashioned Halloween. Created for realism and comfort from the number one company leading the industry for over 16 years, a CFX silicone mask isn't finished until you put it on. Whatever your needs, CFX has you covered with silicone. And once you put it on, you too will agree that a CFX mask will be the most comfortable rubber you'll ever wear. Find your new face today at cfxmasks.com, cfxmasks.com. Psychocharger, tonight is Halloween on The Big Scary Show.
Hello everybody, Drew Badger here. We're live in the upstate of South Carolina, the burg of Easley, South Carolina, home of Sweet Dream Scarehouse. Been a number of years since I've been out here, and of course being Friday the 13th, you had to come out and do a couple of haunted attractions. I mean, how could you not, folks? It's the perfect time for it. I got Joe Kirk here, owner of Sweet Dreams. Joe, this has been a lot of fun. We just went through. We had a great time. Thanks, Drew. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming out. It's, it's always a pleasure to see awesome. you. It's been a number of years since I've been out here. You have changed an awful lot, and all of it has been for the better. Yes, sir. It's been a long time coming, and we work on it as much as we possibly can. And, uh, you know, I didn't really think that I'd be here, but I'm here, and it's it's I love this place. It's, it's awesome. And and the, the screams have been awesome. The actors have been awesome. The set designs are great. Um, you got a couple of people literally just hanging around as you walk in. What What is going on with those folks? So that is our uh, suspension team. It's Cyanide Suspension. Um, they are all actors and all part of the haunted house, but they do have their own business. Um, Cyanide Suspension is a flesh hook uh, skin suspension show where they actually literally pierce their bodies and they hang from string. Swing. Well, I say fun. rope, but you know. <laughs> well, they hang by the string, then onto a rig, and then it's, that rig's held up by a rope. So gotcha. yes, you're you're right, you're correct. But that guy has been up there for a long time. There's blood coming out of his back. It's really creepy if you get creeped out by stuff like that. But it is uh, intriguing and and actually kind of kind of a neat way to spend some time in the queue line watching this guy just kind of sway back and forth. It's definitely something that is different. I think. Um, it's definitely something to do. They um, are very professional with everything. They're very safe. Um, they do a fantastic job. And, you know, it's not for everybody. There's the, the weak stomach people that just can't do it. They have to walk away and, and move on. But um, it's definitely something that somebody, you know, people get to do while they're here. They get so, to see that stuff. So you might not want to have dinner before you come out to Sweet Dream Scarehouse. Is this yes. a special night for them, or are they out here every night? It is a special night. Um, we have a set schedule for them. Um, they have to recover and they have to heal, even though there's like five different people that do it. Um, it's still, we like to space it apart. We usually try and do it on Friday night to lure people in. Friday night's obviously always the slower nights. Mm-hmm. In the haunt industry, Saturday nights, you know, everybody's just focused on getting into the haunt getting out of the haunt safely and having a, having a blast so we try not to keep the traffic um you know in the compound area we keep trying to keep it flowing but friday night and especially friday the 13th why not you know everybody wants to see blood why not see real blood well you're you're definitely seeing it out there one thing you're not seeing is a lack of good scares because we went through with a group of uh, let's just say college age women and you know, if you're an actor, that is that is crack to actors. You know, late teens, early twenties. You know, they they yelled at everything, they screamed at everything. A lot of good interaction. My daughter was here; she had a great time. She got to interact with some of the actors. Your acting group has improved noticeably over the years, and I've been coming to your events for. Oh, gosh, going on close to 10 years. In fact, I believe this is your 10th anniversary. Absolutely, it is. It is our 10th anniversary. We've been living the dream since 2013. We've got new merchandise for the the anniversary and stuff like that. And we're actually really proud to say that we're a debt-free haunted house. So that's something that I'm going to go ahead and pat myself on the shoulder for. <laughs> As um, you should. Buckled down, and we did everything we needed to do. And uh, we're here to stay, man. Uh, this is just a, a great year. And it's a year that I can actually literally have fun. And it looks like you are, man. Big smiles on your face. A lot of cool things. 
going on here. I remember when you were just a warehouse off of I-85, and, and now you've moved inland, so to speak. Uh, yeah. I don't even know. How far away is 85 from here? Uh, 85 is about 12 minutes away. Okay. So it's not very far. You'll just take um, Highway 153 into Easley from 85. Once you get into Easley on Highway 123, you'll be able to come into the town of Easley. Um, we're very close to the big Walmart here in Easley, so it's the road, Sokolow Road, that runs parallel to 123. Very easy to find. Um, sometimes you can catch our billboards up. We just went ahead and did billboards. <laughs> it's our first billboard this year. So, um, And then you can check us out on Facebook. You can check us out on SweetDreamScareHouse.com. It's got the information, directions. Anything you need to know is on the website. Um, and then, obviously, the phone number is on there, but... You know, sometimes we just can't get to the phone. You know, it's just it's just crazy. So, um, most of the information you can get to is is obviously through Facebook and through the, the internet. So. so, when is the last day of the season, and are you doing anything special for say Christmas or anything before the end of the year? Ah, uh, that's a toughie. I can't I can't let the cat out the bag just yet because I got to confirm it with the crew. But um, it is something that we're thinking about doing. We're uh, we just want to see how the how everything turns out this year. And if everything's good, everything has fun, we don't have any problems, and uh, we all got the time, we might pull out um, a season's beating <laughs> show. We might just do nice. one weekend, you know what I'm yeah, saying? Sure. I don't think it's worth coming out and doing two weekends in a row. You know, we got to watch the weather. Most people just do a weekend. Yeah, anyway, I think we'll just so. do a weekend and, uh, you know, see what we do, uh, see what happens. Um, we definitely got the stuff for it. It's just, hey, can we turn this place around between now and, and Christmas time? Sure. You know, it's just, I live here now, so, I mean, hey, uh, Maybe. maybe there I can there you on. go. Yeah. And when is the last day of the season for you? The last day of the season is, I believe it's November 5th. I think it's 4th and 5th is the last weekend or the first weekend of November. Um, it is definitely, um, no, there's nothing special. I know there's some haunts that do the, the lights out tour and stuff like that. but It's dark um, enough out here. Yeah, it's dark enough. we got rocks and roots and stuff like that. We don't need a tripping hazard or anything like that. It's you know, we got to keep it lit up. But um yeah, that's going to be the last weekend. So it's basically the the last weekend after Halloween, and Halloween falls on a Wednesday this year. Or so Tuesday or, or Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday, or Wednesday like yeah, yeah, something like that. So terrible. We time. do have our <laughs> Hell Week, so we'll be running um, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. I believe is is Halloween. And then we'll take a break and come back and hit it up for the for the last weekend. Excellent. And like you said, this is a great outdoor trail, but there are roots and rocks, so a blackout, probably not practical. But I'll tell you what, the lighting you had out here is dynamite because you get to see a lot of stuff. My daughter was commenting that she was able to see a lot more detail than in other places we have gone to because it's not as dark. I mean, it's dark enough out here. I haven't seen a streetlight in 10 miles. So, I mean, it, this is rural, upstate South Carolina, plenty of darkness, but, you know, the trail's well lit. You know, you're not going to hopefully fall or trip or twist an ankle or anything, but it has been a lot of fun coming through here, Joe. Always a pleasure to come out to a place like this and just uh, just have fun, and we're, and we're so glad that you're uh you're having a good time doing all this. Once again, folks, SweetDreamScareHouse.com. Check them out on social media as well. Joe, always a pleasure to have you here on A Big Scary Show. Appreciate it. Thank you very much, Drew. Um, I look forward to hearing more of your podcasts, and definitely I love hanging out with you in oh, Transworld. So we love I can it, man. get back in the stage of going to Transworld and, and getting to see everybody again. I've just been super busy around here and fixing the life, and, you know, it's just uh, – I appreciate you coming out. I really do. Uh, it's always my pleasure, man. Always love to do this. Always love to take my daughter out and yes. see good stuff like this. She's had a great time. I've had a great time. If you come to Sweet Dreams Scare House in Easley, South Carolina, you will have a great time. My name is Drew Badger. Out here on the road in the upstate of South Carolina, 
and we're out. Hi, this is Lisa Morton. I'm the author of Trick or Treat, The History of Halloween, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Broadcasting to you from the darkest reaches of the Earth, this is A Haunt Minute. And now, with this week's commentary... Alright, so we know we're good, but maybe we of Haunters have gotten too good. Uh, Like, take for example what happened in North Carolina last week. Last week, a construction worker found a body on the lawn of an abandoned house. Now, the house um, is sometimes used for police exercises, especially with their canine division. In the area, uh, the body is of a local guy who went missing a few days earlier, and um, he was found with just wearing his socks and underwear. So it was a pretty, you know, open body. It wasn't like he was really covered up with clothes or anything. And he's right there on the lawn. Uh, the biggest problem was the lawn being cut around the body. So they go and ask, you know, what happened here. It ends up the. Um, landscaper had come the day before been hired to make sure that the land is uh you know the grass is cut and trimmed and everything there and at first he said he had mistaken the body for a halloween display and cut around it uh then he sort of backtracked on that one and was saying oh no no i I thought it was a uh, a dummy for the police training yeah for the for the dogs for the police training uh you know Okay, you you really blew it, and you you know you didn't report a dead body. You said you mistook it for a Halloween display, which okay, we we do some pretty neat ones. But saying it was a police dummy, I, I I'm not buying it. Um, they don't make police dummies for uh, dog training like that. Dog training is done with either uh, a small object which has a scent on it, and that's what they're going for. Sort of looks like a buoy for a boat. Uh, the type you'd have between the dock and the boat, um, a little float like that. Uh, that's mainly what's used. Or if you are using a human target, you have that big suit that they wear. We've all seen videos of that. There's no videos of like uh, them going after a dummy. It's really just not an exercise you train a police dog for. It doesn't make much sense. Uh, but let's say that you know maybe they're using a CPR dummy or something for it. Uh, CPR dummies are not cheap, you know, the, you know, a, a decent one that's not going to look like a store mannequin or, you know, plastic is going runny at least $1,800. So this guy was hired, went out there, cut the lawn around, you know, a expensive prop that shouldn't have been there just laying out and didn't even, like, let his supervisor know or anything. No, 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 no. We've desensitized the public to Halloween displays to a point where they are now literally mistaking dead bodies for, you know, haunted attraction and displays uh, to a point where they're just making stupid excuses so they don't sound like that they've done that. So good job, everybody, uh, this year. Uh, let's hope people are a little smarter and, you know, will report those dead bodies. And when your neighbors are complaining about your yard display, at least you know you won't be dead on your yard for four days before someone finds you. So until next time, keep every minute scary.
Tune in next episode for another Haunt Minute. Hi, this is Josh Gates from Travel Channel's Expedition Unknown, reminding you to send all hate mail to storm at bigscaryshow.com. All hell breaks loose in The Evil, a chilling tale of supernatural suspense. The Evil, rated R, no one under 17 admitted without doubt. Good evening. My name is Deadfield, the zombie butler. Visit me and all my friends here at vfxcreates.com and check out the new Putrid Pete, the zombie puppet. We have several new products that you might want to see. <laughs> see you soon at vfxcreates.com. Music by Midnight Syndicate. All right, so this is Jerry Vane, and I am at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo in Denver, Colorado, and I am with, I'm going to let you say all this because it's a mouthful. I'm Belmont Lowe from Belmont Lowe's Living Art Emporium. Tell us exactly what you do because this has to be one of the most unique booths we've seen here, and there's a lot of stuff that's unique, but this one stood out. Thank you. Yeah, there's a lot of really great artists here. I'm uh, very lucky to know. Um, so out of what we do is we specialize in creating memorial jewelry out of the client's themselves blood or the blood of their loved ones and then setting it into custom jewelry. That is definitely different. Um, what type of jewelry do you do? I mean, I'm seeing so many different things here. Yeah, so you'll see that we do jewelry. There's a, a variety of sculptures, crystal balls, orbs, towers, any shape essentially that can be made with resin I can do with blood and, uh... That goes as far as the size of a table, in terms of, like, how big it can go. That's a lot of blood. Yeah, well, there's a lot of people who have more than one wife, and that helps. <laughs> uh, but other than that, I'd say probably 90% of what we do is sculpt- or is jewelry, but I'm always happy to try something new if someone gives me a challenge. Where are you guys located? We live out in the Illinois woods in a village of less than 1,000 people. I love it very much. Easy to hide from. Got it. Yeah, oh yeah. I don't want to be found if I can help it. So where can people find you on social media if they are interested in this extremely unique uh, endeavor? The easiest way to find us is to go to Bells Living Art. That's bells as in ringing of the bells, livingart.com. All right, and they can find you on Facebook and Instagram Facebook, and all. Facebook, social media, TikTok. I am, I'm all under blood and resin. All right, great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to The Big Scary Show. This is Jerry Vane, and I am out. Hi, this is Beth Cook from Monster Kid Radio in Portland, Oregon, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Hello, everyone. It's Drew Badger, and this is the 300th edition of Deadline News. Who would have thunk it? And we're going to kick things off with this news from the Endless Night Vampire Ball coming to New Orleans. Endless Night Productions is proud to present the New Orleans Vampire Ball 2023 Temple of the Dark Goddess to be held on Saturday, October 28th at the legendary House of Blues located right in the middle of the French Quarter at 225 Decatur Street. Described as a Venetian masquerade meets a vampire court with the energy of a rock concert and the elegance of burlesque cabaret, get your tickets and more information at endlessnight.com.
Halloweenandfall.com. We have this news from the Halloween and Fall Festival coming to Voorhees, hmm, New Jersey. Voorhees Township's annual Halloween and Fall Festival happens on Saturday, October 28th, located at 2400 Voorhees Town Center in Voorhees from 1 to 4 p.m. This is a family-friendly event that boasts free admission and parking. There'll be a DJ, Voorhees Business Associates Pumpkin Patch, a teal pumpkin table, a Voorhees Art Commission pumpkin decorating station, bounce houses, crafts, food vendors, and so much more. Get more information on their Facebook page, facebook.com slash Voorhees Township. We have this from the Matthews Playhouse 5th Annual Haunted Trail coming to Matthews, North Carolina. Mark your calendars, the Matthews Playhouse 5th Annual Haunted Trail is coming October 27th through the 29th. This spooky outdoor experience offers something for everyone and supports our Sponsor a Student and Scholarship Funds. Not into the creepy, crawly, scary stuff? No problem. We're offering a special kid-friendly, not-so-spooky hour each evening from 5.30 until 6.30. All are encouraged to wear their costumes and enjoy local food trucks, bouncy houses, trunk or treat, crafts, children's activities, and more. The trail will then transform into its signature full fright experience from 7 to 10 p.m. Tickets to enter the trail are only $10 a person and will be available at the gate. A limited edition Haunted Trail t-shirt, hoodies, and other merchandise will also be available for purchase during the event. Visit matthewsplayhouse.com slash haunted-trail or call 704-846-8343 for more information. We have this from the Blackstrap Haunted Halloween Party coming to Gainesville, Georgia. On October 28th, join us for a spine-tingling time with vendors, food trucks, live music entertainment, and pictures with Krampus. The Punk Rock Flea Market kicks off from 12 to 6 p.m., win prizes at the Big Spooky Game Show, the Casket Creatures, Die 85, and Death Blender will rock the evening show beginning at 8 p.m. It's all ages and admission is only $15. Dress your best for their costume contest and be sure to catch the hauntingly captivating burlesque performance by the Haunted Harlots. This event is free until the evening show. Get more information at blackstraprockhall.com. We have this news from the Everhaunt Haunted Attraction in Angola, New York. On November 4th, everything changes for one night. Join us for the most terrifying, dark, haunted experience of your life. It's just you, your friends, one glow stick, and pure terror. Most guests who go to this event never go to a haunted house again during regular show days because it will blow your mind. It's the Blackout Experience at Everhaunt. Get tickets and more information at everhaunt.com. We have a little convention news with this update to Days of the Dead coming to Chicago. It is with great pleasure that we announce the addition of actress Scout Taylor Compton to the guest roster for Days of the Dead Chicago, happening November 17th through the 19th at the Crown Plaza Chicago O'Hare. Scout is best known for her portrayal of Laurie Strode in Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2, as well as for playing Lita Ford in the film The Runaways. 
She's also appeared in other horror movies such as Wicked Little Things, An American Crime, and Ghost House. Get more information at daysofthedead.com. We have this from Haunt at the Roxbury in Ypsilanti, Michigan. We are back, bigger and scarier than ever. Join us for a haunted charity event October 27th through the 29th from 7.15 to 10.15 p.m. Your screams and donations will help needy families and individuals here in Ypsilanti by supporting Hope Clinic. Come have a screaming good time, learn about the curse of Roxbury Farms, and take a tour if you dare. Keep up with updates at night at the roxburyhouse.com We have this news from the Indian Hills Horror Haunted House coming to Provo, Utah. New this Halloween season, we have a no actor, no scare walkthrough at our free haunted house. Opening at 7 p.m. and going until 9 p.m., enjoy our haunt without the scares on October 30th. Get more information on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Indian Hills Horror. And finally, we have this news on the Seattle Zombie Bar Crawl coming to Seattle. On October 28th, come in costume and roam the streets of downtown Seattle by stopping in and out of 10-plus bars and nightclubs with one all-access pass for the Seattle Zombie Halloween Crawl. Your zombie survival kit includes free welcome shot tickets from select venues, drink discount vouchers, free nightclub entry passes, a zombie crawl map of participating venues. Join hundreds of costume pub crawlers partying from bar to bar for a Halloween night out to remember. Tickets are on sale now at Eventbrite and search for Seattle Zombie Crawl. And of course, you must be 21 or older to participate. Remember, folks, if you have news in the haunted house, Halloween, or horror industries, and you want it on the show, email it to us, news at bigscaryshow.com, and we'll get it on the show. No news is too big or too small. This concludes this edition of the Big Scary Show's Deadline News. <laughs> Wednesday 13th, Halloween 13 on the Big Scary Shows.
Spectral Illusions is a digital production studio creating video effects for your home or pro haunt. They carry over 30 stock videos ready for immediate download, as well as USB drives preloaded with multiple effects. In partnership with AAXA Technologies, they now carry projectors preloaded with multiple effects. And now Big Scary Show listeners can get 15% off downloads, USBs, and screens with code BIGSCARY15. Projectors not included. Visit SpectralIllusions.com and add some life to your haunt. That's SpectralIllusions.com. All right, this is Jerry Vane with the Big Scary Show at the Oddities and Curiosities Convention in Denver, Colorado. And I am at the Mad Tatters booth, and you can really go off on that one. But I am here with Brandon. Yes, Dr. B. Zerk. Tell us about your booth. This is some interesting stuff. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it's me and my wife, Ellie Rusanova, that uh, we collaborate uh, and, and do the work together. It's kind of our traveling art circus that we've been doing for about 12 years now. And um, we kind of combine uh, old world religious iconography with circus kind of that old-timey circus era posters and uh, kind of throw in a little bit of absurdity, a little grotesquery, and uh, you kind of start getting close to what, what, we're, get, what, we're, what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, there's some, uh, I mean, some of the artwork and the statuary and everything is just so unique. And, and we've already, we talked about this offline, the uh, Balfament uh, t-shirt, which is a... a depiction of the of Baphomet but is Alf and uh, that my wife got quite a laugh out of <laughs> what how did you come up with that one I mean uh, that that for me is one of my that's one of those uh, light bulb moments uh, yeah funny enough I was in uh, Austin Texas I had uh, was walking around on the river walk had eaten a pretty good amount of pot gummy and was just spinning things in my head about different ideas and I grew up watching Alf absolutely loved Alf and and very much into the occult and uh, the two just synergized and fused into one and I was like sweet god there we are and I went home and started drawing it up and uh, yeah that's how it came to life pot gummies on the river walk in Texas Yep. I'm going to have to talk to my sister about that because she lives in the area. Well, there you are. <laughs> so if anybody wants to check out some of this really awesome stuff, where can they find you on social media and all that? Uh, on Instagram, you can find us at madtatters underscore art circus, and then on the website, madtatters.com. All right. Brendan, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I'm yeah. hoping you guys have a good show because, man, this place is packed today. Yeah, it literally took me two hours to come back over here to finally nab- nail you down. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this is Jerry Rain again at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo in Denver, Colorado, and I am out. And, ladies and gentlemen, we hope you are enjoying our 300th episode Halloween Spooktacular on The Big Scary Show Let's find out who was listening carefully to episode 299. It's time to find out if we have a winner for the gruesome giveaway sponsored by our very good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com. This is your very last warning to get out there and start shopping for all your Halloween supplies because after this, you might have to start holiday shopping. 
But we consider Halloween a great holiday, so it really doesn't matter. You can go to ScreamlineStudios.com and get a whole wide range of things. Or if you enter our contests like our potential winner has, you might just win a prize from Screamline. Of all the entries we received, we randomly chose this one. I believe we have a potential winner on the line. Potential winner, what is your name? Where are you located? My name is Derek Muehlberger. I'm in Lakeland, Florida. Derek Muehlberger. I'm going to go ahead and give full disclosure. I do know who you are, sir. We have met on more than one occasion, and I know that you have a long and storied history of haunting down in the Florida area. So it is very nice to talk to you, sir. Same here. Well, before we start reminiscing too much here, I need to ask you a couple of legal questions before we find out if you are the winner. Question number one, did we contact you in any way, shape, or form other than to tell you when to call in? No, you did not. All right, question number two, did you try to tempt us to pick your name via bribery or other means? No. All right, we we like that. Well, Derek Muehlberger of Lakeland, Florida, if I remember the correct que- the question, sort of paraphrasing it because I never have it in front of me, it went along the lines of this. On our last round table of terror, we had three haunt owners that were going into their final season and were shutting their doors after this year. Two of them are doing it voluntarily because of health reasons or age or other reasons. One of them is not shutting down voluntarily. Which haunt is not shutting down voluntarily? It was the expelled due to someone buying the building that they use and not wanting them back in the building. And the expelled is absolutely correct out there in Arkansas. We wish them luck in finding another property. Hopefully they'll be around again. If they, uh, if they do, I'm sure they'll let us know that. But the big news right now is that Derek Muehlberger of Lakeland, Florida, you are the October Gruesome Giveaway winner. Sweet. Derek, I know that you have a background in haunting. Are you working for a haunt or doing a display or a home haunt this year? What, what's going on? I uh, haven't been working for haunts since the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we've been doing a yard display, slowly moving that to a home haunt. And in the meantime, we've been traveling all up and down the entire East Coast from Haunted Overload in New Hampshire all the way back down here in Florida seeing haunts. Oh, fantastic. That sounds like a dream to me, and I'm sure an awful lot of people would love to do the very same thing. So once again, Derek, if you'll stay on the line, we'll get some shipping information for you. And again, we want to thank our good friends at ScreamlineStudios.com for providing some fantastic prizes. And also one more time, congratulations to Derek Muehlberger of Lakeland, Florida, the October gruesome giveaway winner here on our Halloween Spooktacular. Congratulations, Derek. Thank you. And once again, folks, this is the Halloween episode 300 Spooktacular here on The Big Scary Show. Want to take your haunt to a new dimension of terror? Then let Dark Imaginings conjure up some ghoulish graphics and web design services for your home, haunt, or crypt. Mm. To see more of our products and services, drop by darkimaginings.com. Let us help you get ahead of your competition. <laughs>
<laughs> Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. <laughs> the Roundtable of Terror is very proudly sponsored by Haunt Pay. Whether it's time ticketing, virtual queue lines, or anything else related to online ticket sales, have Alex and his staff set you up at hauntpay.com. Ladies and gentlemen, for the 300th time, you are hearing the music that signifies that the Round Table of Terror is on the air for the Big Scary Show's big Halloween spooktacular. Unfortunately, not that close to Halloween, but unfortunately, again, that is how the schedules and the moon and the calendars and all that work. But we're going to have a lot of fun on this Round Table because... For those of you who've been following us for a number of years, you know our Halloween roundtables tend to be a little extra special. We like to talk about basically Halloween. You know, we talk so much about businesses and, you know, haunted attractions and and all that good stuff. You don't want to forget who brung you to the dance. And of course, that is the Halloween holiday. And because that is coming up in just a few short days, we thought we'd get some people who knew or who do know a lot about that most glorious of holidays. I want to introduce our very special guests with us tonight. We're going to start off on the West Coast, up in the Portland, Oregon area with Beth Cook. Beth, how are you? Great. Wonderful to be here. Really excited. It, it is a lovely to have you on the show here. I can't wait to hear about all the things that you've got to say. Heading down the coast, probably, oh, I don't know, 12 hours, maybe more, down to the L.A. area, we have Lisa Morton. Lisa, how are you? Good, thank you. Is it about 12 hours from Portland to L.A.? I'm just guessing. I, I think it's a little more. I, I drove over it a couple of times, and it was like 17. No, uh, that's, it's, you got long states out there. <laughs> and just down the road from me in the little humble burg of Waxon, North Carolina, we have Neil Gimmon, who I have known for about 20 years as an actor and brewmaster. I'm sure Jim just lit up real quick hearing that. Neil, uh, how are you, sir? I am doing really well. Glad to be here. Thank you very much for the invite. Then I got all sorts of things to talk about here. Oh, always a pleasure. As well as our regular hosts up in Rhode Island, we have Storm. Greetings from spooky New England, where the legendary haunt tour will be in about a month. Can't wait to hear all about that. Heading down to Cincinnati, Ohio, we have the aforementioned Meat Hook Jim. You know, I uh, I went to a haunted attraction over the weekend, and uh, not only did I enjoy that, but I enjoyed too much bourbon. So, Were you in Kentucky? Uh, no, I was at Waverly, Ohio, going to Backwoods Oddities. Gotcha. And uh, we had a bourbon that is called Von Payne. Ooh. And it's got a gargoyle for a pour spout. It's really good stuff. We're going to have to discuss that maybe. And of course, way out in Fayetteville, Arkansas, the 
only one of us that's actually actively running a haunted attraction right now, and I'm sure she is just tuckered out after the weekend. We have the old crone, Jonna. How are you? Like you said, exhausted, but it was um, a great weekend this past weekend. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season, hoping it follows suit with uh, with the numbers that we ran this past weekend. Congratulations. My name is Drew Badger in Charlotte, North Carolina. I have just wrapped up my season of actor training workshops. I've been on the road since uh, basically August. I, too, am tuckered out and just sitting here with my cup of Earl Grey ready to talk Halloween. So let's go to our guests and find out what they're all about. You know, we, we like shows like this to talk about basically the history of, the culture of, all the cool things that make Halloween what it is. Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself. You are an author. You just published a, another book, I believe. Tell us a little bit about your background and all the cool things you do regarding Halloween. Yeah, I um, started writing as a screenwriter. Now I call myself a reformed screenwriter because I got smart and got away from that in the 90s. Um, I write both fiction and nonfiction. Uh, I started with Halloween in about, I think it was 2002, I brought out a book called The Halloween Encyclopedia. Um, after that, I did two more books on the history of Halloween, most recently Trick or Treat, A History of Halloween. I also have written an absolute ton of Halloween-themed horror fiction. And I am, in fact, just uh, 50 minutes ago finished teaching my first session of a three-session course on the history of Halloween for Atlas Obscura. So you can still sign up for that if you want to hear why I got horse um, at atlasobscura.com. And yes, I have a new book that just came out this last weekend called The Art of the Zombie Movie, which is a gigantic doorstopper of a coffee table art book. Oh, I already know what I'm putting on my Christmas list. It sounds fascinating, and I, I and I will put it up with my coffee table book on Universal Monsters. I think that will be an awful lot of fun. Beth, tell us a little bit about your background. You have a pretty storied history in the haunt industry and such. So I actually came to the haunt industry from out of the theater industry. I had owned my own large theater in, in North Portland, Oregon. And after surviving ovarian cancer, I made a list of all the things in the world that scared me. And one of them was haunted houses. They terrified me since I was little. So I decided instead of just going to one, I was going to work at one. And it turns out I really enjoy being the thing that's scary, even if I didn't enjoy being scared. Um, I've worked with Scaregrounds, PDX and Underhill and some of the other uh, haunts in the area for going on seven years now, it'll be my seventh season. And now I'm at the point where I'm also designing haunted houses for church groups and school groups around the country, and then working with some international groups that want to bring haunted houses uh, to their area of the globe for the first time. Uh, Neil, I know you have a, a bit of a haunter background, but you, you do other things now. But tell us a little bit about your uh, background regarding Halloween itself. Oh, excellent. Well, um, first of all, I got to uh, congratulate you, Beth. I am also a cancer survivor myself, then, so uh, it's it's really fantastic then. Badger and I uh, worked together at uh, the local uh, theme park here called Carowinds, but during the uh, haunting season, it's called the Scarewinds. So we had ourselves a damn good time scaring the living daylights out of people then and just enjoying everything like that. I have always been a huge fan of Halloween. 
Uh, my mother was born and raised in Ireland, and I I got all the stories about how I mean Halloween really took off from Ireland, and the uh, there's such a belief system of the she and the uh, all the worlds that are going through, and especially at Halloween, where you can actually feel where the the fabrics of reality and the spirit world are very very thin for that all that. Uh, since then, I have opened up a uh, a brewery here in beautiful downtown Waxhaw, North Carolina. And as a funny thing, then, as I continued my my fun little things of haunting, then, is that we put up a uh, a big Halloween party every single year. And I've actually been able to work with the, uh, the town of Waxhaw that uh, this year will be our second year about doing a haunted tour of Waxhaw. Uh, our brew house is in an old uh, the Waxhaw volunteer fire department then. And if you think that fire trucks and uh, would go out to people's worst days and they bring back all sorts of energy. We have documented two spirits, I guess is the best way to call it. One in our tap room, one in the back area here then. And uh, um, the one in the uh, tap room loves our electronics then and will play around with our HVAC systems as well as our jukebox then. And I think it actually might be a, a cat because uh, the spirit in the tap room or in our back area here loves to knock things over. If it's on the side, if it's on the edge of a table, it'll be knocked over. So uh, we live a very good life. But I mean, especially this area has just been a, a, a this is an old area here. There were Indian Wars. The Revolutionary War actually happened here. Um, the uh, march through... Uh, uh, during the Civil War, uh, we had Sherman go through this town then, too. There are so much history and all sorts of things that go bump in the night around here. So, love it. I love it. Having the old Irish heritage, were you carving turnips as a kid instead of pumpkins? We actually did that the first year, and they didn't turn out too well. And then my mother finally accepted the art of uh, doing a pumpkin. So. <laughs> Excellent. How about how about the others? Jim, what, what were some of the things that you did that made uh, Halloween so special for you as a kid? And even growing up, uh, gosh, you know, um, growing up, I was always big. Um, from the age of four, I used to, I loved to scare my mother. I, it started when I was four. Um, you know, I would hide behind corners and just wait for mom to come around and just scare the crap out of her. And ever since then, it, you know, you did the trick or treat thing, but I always wanted to make my own costume. I, I, I did. I hated store bought costumes. You know, with the little plastic thing, and and, and you know, like you have this this a space about one millimeter you're supposed to breathe through. Um, so I made costumes like I made a Spider-Man costume one year. Uh, a little bit older, I made uh, I went as Gene Simmons from Kiss. All of this was was made with stuff I had at home. It was funny because when I did Gene Simmons, my clown white was actually zinc oxide because I didn't know about clown white back then. So I used zinc oxide, and my mom's. I, my mom's eyebrow pencils and stuff like that. And Gene Simmons, the gym version was born. Well, I'll guarantee you, you didn't get sunburned that, uh, that Halloween. So congratulations uh, on that. No, I didn't. <laughs> How about you, Jonna? What were some of the, uh, traditions that you grew up on? Well, we, um, lived way out in the country. And so there was really no one to trick or treat to, but my dad was a Baptist minister and so we always had Halloween parties at church. And um, that was always a lot of fun. And as I got older, I got to help make the little spook houses. And we take some of the Sunday school rooms and make a little miniature, miniature haunted house out of it. 
And then um, also we, at that time, the school carnivals still were actually Halloween carnivals and we had spook houses in there too. So I always loved that. Very cool. Storm, what about you, sir? Uh, Halloween was always a, a bit, especially busy day. Um, <clears throat> it is a, it's a big holiday in South Jersey, uh, especially the night before Mischief Night, Tic Tac Night. Uh, that was always big with people. Uh, the city of Camden, um, you know, through the 80s and uh, late 70s would actually just burn. Uh, they'd set arson fires in all the abandoned buildings. And Camden was just devastated at the time economically. So, um, I mean, the whole city would catch fire. And, you know, we'd be, you know, 15, 20 miles away. And you could see the glow on the horizon down the uh, Delaware River. Uh, in addition, it was big uh, at the school and church I went to. We'd always have, uh, they didn't want to teach that day. So we'd have a, uh, went to a Catholic school. We'd have a big Halloween party with costumes. We'd do a Halloween parade where we'd march everybody around the uh, school uh, outside. And, uh, you know, just food, drinks, and scary movies and stuff. Uh, the community center always had some sort of Halloween party with bobbing for apples and, you know, telling ghost stories and things. In addition to all that, it was my grandmother's birthday. So we'd have to pile everybody up in the car, get a couple of trick-or-treating in, and get up to Trenton, New Jersey for her uh, birthday dinner. And uh, go have uh, dinner with her and then scare her trick-or-treaters in the neighborhood. So it, it was always a busy day and, you know, just built from that, uh, you know, just just a fun holiday for all of us. Sounds uh, not unsimilar to what a lot of us have been saying. You know, I think we're all fairly somewhat in that same same age demographic grew up in the 70s, 80s, maybe early 90s or so. Um, Lisa, you, you, as as a quote unquote expert on Halloween, how has the holiday changed since Basically, we were young. It, it it has evolved quite a bit with the changing times. But, you know, while some of the um, things seem familiar and, and seem the same, you know, my kids had very different Halloweens than, than I did. So how has it changed? Yeah, it has changed a lot since, I mean, since I was a kid in trick-or-treating. Um, trick-or-treat obviously took some pretty big hits in the 70s with all of the urban legends about tampered candies and uh, razor blades and apples and all of that. And they were almost entirely just urban legends. There was no documented evidence of any of that really going on, but it didn't matter. People got really scared for their kids. And then um, by the time you get into the, the late seventies, you get these, these combination of things like counterculture groups claiming the holiday back for adults you get the release of John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978, which suddenly says to everyone, no, 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 this is a really scary holiday. It's not just whimsical and fun for kids. And then, of course, we get in the 70s, um, Knott's Berry Farm starts the whole haunted attractions thing, really, by doing their one night makeover, which turns into a huge success for them. And we get by the 80s, every amusement park in Southern California was doing haunted um, nights in October. It was a huge money earner for them and the, really the birth of the, the uh, haunted attractions industry, I think. And that obviously has been humongous, as most of you know, in converting the holiday from something that used to be just for kids 
to something that now is kind of divided between kids and adults. And um, I think one of the things that we are also seeing happening around the world is the massive global export of Halloween. Um, 20 years ago, when I wrote my first book on the holiday, it was not celebrated anywhere that didn't speak English. Um, and even a lot of the English speaking countries weren't celebrating it. Now it is almost ubiquitous, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. I mean, even places like Russia, where both the government and the Orthodox Church frown on it, it's being celebrated. It's just huge. And it's starting, it's interesting because it's also starting to take on certain like um, regional things in some of these new places. Um, one of my favorite stories is how there is a, an amusement park in Hong Kong called Ocean Park, which has been doing haunted mazes since, uh, I think, 2001. And they are doing like Buddhist hell themed walkthroughs. Um, and I suspect we're going to see more and more of that kind of like regional involvement as it keeps spreading around the world. It is interesting to see how some of that is, you know, like you said, it's it's being exported. You know, if we export one thing, well, it's Halloween because, you know, we've had author Chris Colstrom with us before. And she she wrote a book where she traveled all around the world, basically celebrating Halloween culture and and monsters and legends and folklore. And it, it, it all seemed to come out of that. But I guess the question is, and this this goes out to all the guests, but where did it actually begin? Was it Ireland? Was it England? Where was the All Hallows Eve originally kind of founded and then kind of spread from there. Samhain. Samhain. Based on what my my mother was born and raised in a small village in Donegal, Ireland, way, way, way up in the north area, not northern Ireland, but just very, very nice. And she basically told us the stories and then also my cousins tell us the story about where, yes, they actually did do the turnips. They actually did make the thing go on. There's a huge belief in what is called the she in in the small little villages of ireland where they really believe that they are still there um i know in iceland there's a whole belief about uh all the fairies that are through there the same thing happens in ireland then too uh you have these uh these standing stones you have all these old areas of ireland then and on halloween my cousin would tell me about just walking through the graveyards to be able to uh, give uh, just say thanks to the to our ancestors, and then going through these uh, these standing stones, they could actually really feel about how thin the layers are between the worlds. Then, so um, there is a huge history of the she and how they come through through those areas. Then, the idea about the uh, turnips was to scare off the the hide more hideous one uh, uh, ones, but still. They left out uh, plates for their ancestors that would come through and also for the, the good she that would come through to be able to give them blessings throughout the entire year then. So so my my money is on Ireland. It really is. I think I would probably second that, that it comes a lot. A lot of it comes from the Celts. I have a Scottish grandmother, but from the coast just across from Ireland. And there's definitely, you know, intermixing. And um, until the day she died, which was coincidentally last Halloween in October, we had to keep a window cracked at night so that spirits that got in could get back out until November 4th. She was adamant, and I'll be darned if I don't have the window cracked out there right now because I'm not chancing it. Yeah, I, I follow There actually is a debate among Halloween scholars, and there are Halloween scholars, um, about whether 
the holiday mainly comes from Samhain or from All Saints Day. And I definitely am with you all on the Samhain side because I just don't see a lot of scary stuff about saints. I mean, I know there was like St. Dennis who got his head chopped off and went on preaching for several hours afterwards. But um, otherwise, the the whole sort of character of Halloween just doesn't fit All Saints Day. And it, it fits Samhain, which was their new year's was the end of summer was a time when the celts thought that veil between worlds was very thin and that the she would cross over and um i i also think it's interesting that if you look at dia de los muertos in mexico you see a very different holiday it's the, got the same base with all saints day but it's very different it's not halloween at all and so to me, that says that Halloween really owes its existence to Samhain. And I think that the whole idea about uh, All Saints Day was more or less the Catholic Church about trying to combat the the pagan beliefs, especially as they were coming into Ireland, and to be able to have something more or less, okay, all right, so yes, maybe the, the, uh, the, the thin sheets between the spirit world and everywhere else, but we need to venerate the the spirits in the Day of the Dead situations. And I think especially since Mexico is a very, very Catholic country then, that, that just got imported into there. And it was the Mexican people that actually were able to really put their own thumbprint on how they celebrated too. We uh, we usually do for uh, Day of the Dead, we have a uh, this northern Mexican food truck that comes at the, the brewery and all the staff is all dressed with the with all the makeup of the Day of the Dead. We have the day of the dead things inside the tap room. And it's just, it's a great way to be able to venerate the pat, venerate your spirits of, uh, of your family. Then Yeah. That's a good question about the day of the dead. Is that more Mexican or is it all Hispanic heritage that celebrates that? Most it's, Catholic heritage celebrates both all saints day and then all souls day on the second. Yeah. Um, one is for saints. The other is for everybody else. And so there's this feeling in most uh, Roman Catholicism, at least, that there there is a thinness between worlds at that time of year. Weirdly, when I was growing up, I was an exchange student in Germany. And when I brought up haunted houses or spooky things around Halloween, they went, no, that's Christmas. And for them, it was Christmas. Now they have spook houses and all these things at Halloween there. But that was very weird for them to be. They were like, no, not October. That's a December thing. You scare the living daylights out of children at Christmas, right? So different well, places the, you know, have different. Krampus came out Krampus. for that, which is a very, very middle uh, middle European uh, thing. Go through Germany, through Poland, through that whole Central Europe area then. so, But it's, it's a very similar thing is that Krampus goes around for looking for the bad kids. So you want to be good. You want to be good. So. We, we will I know be one of the episodes soon. I know one of the reasons that um, with that haunted houses and haunted attractions became associated with uh, Halloween in the United States was actually churches and Christian-based community groups wanting to combat that whole satanic panic and Satanism. And in the Depression, many towns allocated funds because it was cheaper to put on haunted attractions and parties than it was to repair the damage that young men were doing so many young men that were out of uh, work at the, that point in time during the Great Depression that they needed things for them to be doing that were constructive so that they weren't paying huge bills to repair the town the next day. 
So the the practice of destroying a town is not just limited to uh, to Camden or Detroit, Hell Night or anything like that. That was a a U.S. thing. I'm, there were instances not... in Wisconsin, Chicago, Rhode Island, um, and I believe even San Francisco had an incident with one. And there were fires, uh, all kinds of you know sabotage, damage done lights busted out so it was better to have a festival and have something constructive for kids and young people to do than to just leave it up to their imagination this is a this is a guide that the city of minneapolis sent out to homeowners in the 30s um and it is a guide on how to buy off these kids to keep them from destroying your property Mm -hmm. and there actually is right up front a chart showing that this has already been very successful and that Boy trouble has declined, street light replacement has dis- declined, and fire alarms have declined. So just asking for money trick-or-treating is a lot more, you know, extortion of, you know, the trick parts. You know, give us enough that we're not going to, you know, do damage to your property. That really well, takes it to the extreme, doesn't it? Well, I think in- that's where uh, uh, the UNICEF started coming in to be able to get that money and then for getting the uh, the pennies and dimes to be able to raise money for uh, charities for that then. That sort of tempered things, I guess, is the best way to call it then, or their attempt to temper things then. So, um, and when you see a lot now, it's kind of changing as more and more teenagers are still a part of Halloween. And I think, Lisa, you mentioned it's so much for it, more for adults now. Now you see a lot of home haunt displays where you're just viewing it from the curb. And when I was at Transworld this last year, one of the workshops that was talking about ways to keep your home haunt safe or managed or surveilled, they have giant skeletons with cameras in the nose and eyeballs that track you so you know you're being seen. Or one of the things they talked about was if you have bushes, you're going to stretch spider web across it and then put up a place for them to take a selfie with the hashtag because if they take a selfie with it, they see it as ownership, as part of their community, and they'll be much less likely to both destroy it or let others destroy it. So there were all these hints about how what the new treat is. The new treat is taking that picture, having that video, having that effect, not necessarily a piece of candy anymore. That's a great idea. That really is. I, I remember growing up in the neighborhood I did, you know, we, it was almost like a commando operation. I mean, we, we had, you know, all right, you go down this street, you go down this street. We're going to meet up at the end of the block, uh, find out who's giving out apples because we don't want to go back through there. Find out who's giving out full size everything. And if they didn't have good enough candy, there was a real good chance that pumpkin wasn't going to make it till the candle burned out, if you know what I mean. Not <laughs> that I would do anything like that because that would be wrong, but it was just like other neighborhood kids who didn't appreciate getting you know popcorn balls when you know other things were available but but oh, yeah the extortion goes on generational i guess but that, that so, that's funny i love that so the question was asked originally you know where did halloween come from but obviously it was the united states that actually made halloween what it is and now other countries are copying what we did so i'm gonna say that halloween is definitely an american holiday I, I and yes, that's I guess the modern interpretation of Halloween is definitely from the U.S. We have, especially down here in the Carolinas, it's there's a legend of all the Scotch Irish, all this uh, Scots and Irish people that came here to work in the mines and work in the fields and everything of that nature. They brought over all those traditions, and I think they they morphed into what we actually have now 
uh, for what the American version of Halloween actually is. And also, let's be honest, when we're talking about the evolution of Halloween, haunted attractions now have taken the role of keeping uh, young people from causing mischief during the month of October. If we all think about some of the people we've acted with over the years, yes, we're keeping them off the streets, maybe giving them a meager paycheck and some food, and they're not out causing trouble on a Saturday night in October. Very true. Very true. I will not disagree with that one Bit. There are some people that work in haunted houses that are probably scarier than than most things that the owners actually came up with. But I do want to remind you, you are listening to the Roundtable of Terror, Episode 300, Halloween Spooktacular, talking about the history and the culture of Halloween with our very special guest, Neil Gimmon, Beth Cook, Lisa Morton, our regular host. We're going to take a very short break, and we're going to be right back. Are you looking for a comprehensive ticketing solution for your haunted attraction? HauntPay has the answer. We skip the features you don't need and focus on the ones you like, such as timed ticketing and repeat time slots, variable ticket types, bundle and combo tickets, social media discounts, and now featuring all-in-one options including managing your tickets online and at the door, as well as upselling and managing your merchandise and concessions with a comprehensive report on everything at the end of the night. Head on over to hauntpay.com and get started in 60 seconds for free. And we are back to the Roundtable of Terror talking about the history, the culture, all things Halloween for our Halloween spooktacular. Our very special guests, Lisa Morton, Beth Cook, Neil Gimmon, our regular hosts, and uh, Lisa, I think you know during the break you had talked about uh, maybe asking a question out out for the uh, the hosts and the other guests. I would love to know since there are so many really experienced haunters here right now. If you have ever seen a haunt done right in a fiction movie, I mean, there was like the old documentary about Christian hell houses that I just love. But every time I see a haunt in a horror movie, I kind of it doesn't feel right to me. I wondered if you guys had ever seen anything that you thought got it right. Now, now are you talking about a, a, like a haunted house, quote unquote, or are you talking about like a quote unquote professional haunted house, pay your money and get scared kind? I'd take either one. Or maybe a storyline of that would be believable based on traditions, I guess. Well, there there was a movie, I can't remember the name of it, where um, some kids went to a big fair type thing that had a haunted house in it and there was actually a serial killer in the haunted house and no one believed him and i don't remember the name of it but it was pretty good i mean there was a lot of good scenes in it, a lot of good props but for the most part if you're looking at movies with that that you know they go into a haunted house in the movie typically they're more um what i would call like a fun park one you know where it's animatronics and like they just kind ride. of walk through and something just kind of pops out of a, you know, it's not, they're not true how true to how we try to do haunted houses now. But I think well, there, was an, I think there was an episode of Supernatural like that too, where there was a killer inside a like mm-hmm. carnival dark ride. Oh, so. well, I, I mean, there, say, one of the well, best ones I've seen was in a Criminal Minds episode and it actually captured the feeling of how uh, disoriented. Yes. 
it was. And yet then when they went back with the lights on, it was like, oh, this is simple. Yes, I can see everything, but it yeah. kind of showed the difference in effect. That that is true. There's seems like the television shows do better at it with the than the movies because the television shows I think probably go to actual haunted attractions yeah. and use their locations, whereas a movie to tends to try to build one. Well, I mean, there was a series of movies during the 80s called House, which was basically more or less just about uh, the hauntings of a house. And it actually devolved into just really bad comedic things around that then. But you had the horror of that then. But I remember reading a story about uh, it was a TV show that did something on a California Pier. And they were they were find, trying to find a body. And they realized that the one body it was a uh, mummified remains of a cowboy from the 1880s that was actually in the um in the haunted house about it then so i think it was more interesting about after the show actually came on where they actually did the history about it then so i i believe that was an episode of the six million dollar man they were filming oh. back in the oh. 70s and it was an outlaw that had died in the 1800s and somehow his body was preserved and got sold to like a traveling carnival and they were going through an actual you know haunted house and like one of the the set guys accidentally like bumped the prop bumped what they thought was the prop and it's like armor leg came off and they realized there was an actual bone sticking out of the leg rather than wires or pipe yeah they're like uh oh but i believe that <laughs> was i believe that was the show they were they were filming that on i remember reading that Ew. So. yes yes i think a lot actually... of movies you see and shows you see they if they don't use a real haunted house, like you were saying, then they have problems like the fire department would never approve this. You could never have this many people in this space at a time. Um, one of the haunts I work with after the pandemic, they completely changed how they do their haunted houses and everything is now done outside under giant circus tents instead of in an interior building, because now that's not in a building and you don't have to have the same fire sprinklers anymore. So thing, even, you know, modern changes like the pandemic can totally change how we do Halloween and, and how we function. Right. Well, well, like watching a medical show, if you're in the medical field and you're watching a medical show, you're like, that IV would never, never last. Um, they wouldn't, you know, give them that injection through their clothes. You know, you tend to critique things and, and sometimes it takes you out of the moment that the layperson may not realize it and still enjoy it there's not a there's not a clown in a haunted house that spends 30 seconds talking to you <coughs> as you're walking through it you know ah. it's, it's like get out rah, and and tries to force the next group to come through quickly you know you know all those haunts from scooby-doo when they go into the haunted house and they're always talking to the bad scary actor or whatever they always just go off on this giant monologue of some sort you know yeah, that, that oh, never happens in real haunted houses. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the biggest trope that drives me nuts in movies with uh, haunted attractions in it, I just watched one uh, last week called Haunted Trail or something. And it was eh, it was okay, but the biggest thing that really bothered me was uh, the, 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 the psycho murderer at the at, who was at the haunt uh, would leave bodies in the scenes, and there were still actors there. There is no way that a body would suddenly appear and the act I mean I, I have had actors have problems if the light is in a different spot. 
the next day. I mean, if if somebody left a, a dead body there or a body part, you'd say they would know about it right there. And, and you know, it, it's like uh, you can tell these movies where people have never been or never worked with a haunted attraction because they'll have the people going through the scenes and like the actors are just gone. No, they're always right there. They're in the scene. They're hiding. They're they're just behind a wall and they're watching the people do everything they do so that they can get the better scare with it. So having an actor come out and still do their lines when there's an extra dead body there would never happen. Let's and and that one drives me nuts. Yeah, there's security cameras everywhere. Professional <laughs> haunt has security cameras everywhere. So if you're going to murder someone in a in a haunt, that's not a great place to go. You're going to get captured <laughs> on TV. And, and the actors there are going to look at it and say, "I've seen more realistic dead bodies than that." True. Yeah. And- <laughs> and, and, and I mean, and the actors—they all know who's 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 what and what's who. So if there's an additional psycho killer with a big knife that has never done that scene before, they're going to hear about. It. They'll at least be complaining to their manager that some other actors stepping in on their scene. Absolutely. And in modern haunting, I know one of the things that we really make sure and do. I walk about six and a half miles a night into my attractions. We have three main attractions plus side ones. And I'm walking about six and a half miles a night, according to my pedometer, um, just making sure everyone's all right. Uh, Several years ago, we actually had a teenager who dropped. They had a heart incident. It was totally unknown. They had no idea they had a problem. But because of the modern way we do things, really ever since 1984, when Six Flags had a big fire, it really changed the industry a lot. They put a lot of safety regulations in place and a lot of best practices. Uh, those managers are putting eyeballs on people every couple minutes at at the least. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. You know, over the past 20 years or so, and I, I've been working as a quote-unquote professional paid haunted house actor since 2002. You know, I've seen the industry change over the years. The pandemic absolutely changed it a lot. But how have you seen the uh, the haunted attraction industry change over the past few years? You know, we we went through the zombie paintball phase. We're kind of in the escape room phase right now. We're definitely in the axe throwing phase right now, which are, you know, all great add-ons to haunted attractions. But where where do you see or how did you see the evolution of haunted attractions go from, say, when we were growing up and it was JC's haunts and volunteer haunts and you'd stick your hand through the curtain and feel the grapes and the spaghetti for body parts and things? It's 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 a strange evolution on how haunted houses have, have gone into the modern era. I know I've seen a lot of difference in the way that um, they're staffed. We uh, In Portland, a lot of the haunts used to be 90% volunteer with just the managers being paid. Uh, now, the least experienced person I know with uh, Scaregrounds is making $17 an hour. So that's a huge change. And everybody's on payroll. Everybody's vaccinated, those kind of things. But I've also seen attractions linking up with other community groups like in scaregrounds instance they've linked up with oaks park which is a 120 year old amusement park so spooky all on its own they're in portland or the underhill fear group has hooked up with the canon shakespeare company and so they have a source of uh, volunteer labor because people who want to do the shakespeare shows the rest of the year come in and volunteer for a few nights each season uh, at Underhill. So different ways of making it work, different, you know, organizations making things work. But it, it's it's it ended a lot of creativity to the industry. And I was really excited now that the pandemic has kind of 
waned and we don't have to have everyone fully masked, you know, three layers thick on their face to see the differences that have come out of that and the creativity. Uh, I was part of one of the very first drive-through haunted attractions. We were on Good Morning America and the Today Show with me basically hanging off some ropes in front of a car before we figured it out. And we had to change that year, but I, I think in a lot of ways it made people better. And almost everyone we had that year has continued to come back uh, with the different groups I've worked with and get better and better. So I, I think in a lot of ways, shaking things up has done a lot for the industry and will make for better Halloween traditions moving forward. But I do I think that something that has changed is, is the patrons who go to haunted houses have changed a lot. Um, they expect more movie and video game quality props and scenes and scares. Um, it takes a lot more to, to kind of get them. And in fact, we're hiring a lot of the people. Uh, one of our set designers at Scaregrounds uh, last year was also a set designer on the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio movie. So, oh. you know, it's the same skills building practical effects and doing those things. And as CGI takes over more and more and more in Hollywood, unfortunately, in some cases, I think we're going to see more of those people move in. I always uh, say that uh, current day haunt people are just the circus people of yesteryear. And I think the same is true for a lot of the scenery. I love that. People that didn't fit in other places can find a home in haunted attractions and Halloween attractions. People that don't feel like they fit in any other time of year are accepted and welcome no matter how goofy or weird they are. And isn't that really what we all want on Halloween is to just be ourselves and feel accepted for it? Well, I think Shakespeare actors coming in. Dear God, how many ghosts, witches, and other haunted things are in all the Shakespeare plays? So they would be naturals to be able to work in a haunted house for sure. Absolutely. In fact, the Globe Theater, the original one that burned down, burned down because they were trying to do fire effects for a sawween thing, and ah. they accidentally burned the whole thing down. Oops. Oops. <laughs> I do wonder sometimes, and I, and I ask this question a lot of times when I'm working with younger actors at haunts, you know, I remember back in the 50s and 60s, you would see these advertisements saying, no one will be seated the last five minutes of this film due to its shocking ending and stuff. And I ask people these days, I mean, you know, is a is a 25-year-old scared of a 1950s or 60s era film where you can't be seated in the last five minutes because it's so shocking? If you had a haunted house filled with Draculas and Wolfmen and Frankenstein's monsters, they would laugh at that. That's that doesn't get them. And and you know, Freddy Krueger is really more comedy than he is scary. Yet, sure. you know, when I was in high school, I still have friends that cannot look at a poster of Freddy Krueger without getting creeped <laughs> out. But that's the demographic. I I beg to differ. My um, haunt that I designed with Skidrounds last year that I worked in and managed was Grimthorne Manor. And we had every one of those classic monsters, a giant wolf man, a vampire. We had a ghost, we had everything. And we were rated the scariest attraction in the state of Oregon. So if what was the age demographic right, of the reviewers? Uh, we have everything <laughs> from kids to we have several old people's homes that bring full buses of senior citizens to come through. And we just uh, space it accordingly to make it work for them so they can go a little slower. But no, we have a really full demographic and we do have one that, you know, we usually have a haunt that's got silver screen with all the Freddy's and Jason's and Leatherface and all of those. And usually want to have something like you talked about a cowboy one or, or aliens or something, but the classics do endure. And if you do the right combination of distraction 
And then anticipation and scare. I think any theme can work if you stay true to your theme and don't get too distracted. You don't want to throw in just everything in the pot. But if you think you can go with it. I can't disagree with that. But I do. But I also ask the question, what's going to be scaring people in 2030 and 2040 compared to what scared us back in the 80s that isn't necessarily as scary? You know, I think movies these days are now more psychological thrillers then they are just chopping up a bunch of teenagers out in the middle of the woods. And, you know, that got kind of hackneyed and you started actually rooting for the bad guy to kill these annoying teenagers out there. So, you know, it makes you wonder what's going to be the next giant wave of things that scare people. And how is that going to go into Halloween? (laughs) Glaciers melting, seas rising. I could see the horror movie student loans, (laughs) you know, Yes. We know that teenagers would be no bars, no Wi-Fi. Oh, wow. Yeah, true. Oh, God. In hard. some ways, it can you change. If you look in the past, different things scared people at different times. So it, it does change around. And, and you do have to do more now than in the old days. That's true. You have to do things like anticipatory sound leading them into a room and then hurrying them away from a room instead of just one big speaker that's got lightning and thunder or thunder sounds on it, you know, for the whole haunt. So it is more work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, back in the movies, back in the fifties, you know, when, when the cold war and we were all scared of the Russians and nuclear thing, it was so easy to just say nuclear tests gone wrong. We have giant spiders in the desert and giant rabbits and giant Gila monsters. And it was easy to make a monster movie from that. But you know, what, what is going to scare us? in the next decade or two. Oh, the crystal ball <laughs> missing a couple of uh, cards out of the tarot deck then, but I think it's going to, it's going to be an evolving thing. Uh, it's, it's, it, it's great to see that the traditional horror aspects are still, are still working then too, which I, I, I mean, come on, I got teased on all sorts of, uh, not of the twilight zone, but also watching all the uh, Sunday afternoon horror films and everything like that. So um, it's so good to see, Dracula, the mummy, the uh, all the other things like that coming back then too, which is really cool. Let's talk about uh, are we losing the traditions with trick or treat and stuff like that? Did we already discuss that? I have I have a haunt going on right now. I have Swiss cheese brain. Did we discuss (laughs) that? We have not talked about the the uh, phenomenon of trunk or treating or or you know when I first saw ET you know forty one years ago. And people in California were trick-or-treating in the daytime. I'm like, what the heck is going on there? I now I see that happening here. We were we were literally standing on our porches waiting for it to get just dark enough before we could go out trick-or-treating. But you know, people going during the day, what the heck? And you know, don't even get me started on people that just want to turn Halloween into the last Saturday of the month. Oh we're we're not gonna get into that. But, oh, uh, please do, please do. Those those people deserve the toilet paper on their trees uh, next day. Well, I mean, down here in the south, we've got a lot of uh, churches that do the trunk or treats. Then, because dear God, uh, when you're going to do anything uh, with Halloween, that's the devil and things of that nature. Then, but uh, for example, um, we we work with the town here to do a Halloween haunt, and uh, last year. It was the first year, I think, the first official year after the pandemic. We were inundated with kids. I mean, there were hundreds of thousands of kids, it felt like. We went through 32 pounds of candy on that. Oh, my God. And, oh, uh, we're not expecting to have that then. But, I mean, I, 
this year we're, we're uh, we'd like to do is we'd like the kids to have their day from three to six and then from six on to late it's it's time for the adult halloween party that we always have every single year at the brewery then but it's it's just really interesting is that we've got so we're in a very big family area of uh south of charlotte and the kids just came out and they kept coming and they kept coming so there are still some there's still a lot of good halloween traditions i think i've seen over the past though i've seen a lot of the trunk or treats getting smaller and smaller as this is becoming more mainstream though so i think that I'm very glad to see the kids coming out and just going out and trick-or-treating and just coming out to the Halloween celebrations that we all have. I think the kids are just bored with going through trunk-or-treating in 10 minutes and all of a sudden you've collected everything from the people in the parking lot. You know, there's something to be said for going out for an hour, hour and a half, two hours, you know, in the dark, in the neighborhoods. You know, your parents are either sitting in a car at the end of the block or, you know, not with you. Oh, my God, as an eight-year-old kid, you know, and my parents were at home doing whatever they were doing. And me and my friends were just out there alone, you know, avoiding the Apple ladies and planning to hit this cul-de-sac and that cul-de-sac and all that stuff. You know, I think the kids today, they're like, you know, trunk or treating and there's like 19 cars and it's like, okay, we're done. Let's go. I'm like, but, but, but it's only six fifteen, and no, I want to stay out in the dark and, and have fun. And so hopefully it is kind of losing its luster. My university <clears throat> is doing uh, their their dorm is actually they're dressing up their doors. She had me send stuff. She's she's in your neck of the woods now. She's uh, down out of Elizabeth City going oh. to an HBCU. And so they dress up their dorm doors and everything and let the kids come. So they do get to knock and say trick or treat. I imagine it takes quite a bit longer to go door to door through the whole dorm. But I thought that was kind of a neat tradition. She goes, I thought I wasn't haunting, but I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I've noticed over the last couple of years is how trick-or-treat has become really regionalized. Here in L.A., for example, everybody goes to like two or three neighborhoods and they're more affluent neighborhoods. And people will drive from all over the city to go to here in the valley. It's Toluca Lake. Um, On the other side of the hill, it's Beverly Hills still. And um, you can drive through most neighborhoods and see almost no kids. And then you drive to these neighborhoods and it would take you an hour to go a block. They're so full of kids trick-or-treating. And I hear that that's much more common all over the country now. I get these these reports from people all over every year going, yeah, I had like no trick-or-treaters this year. But if I drove half a mile, there were hundreds of them. Uh, can you only imagine what you get when you're trick-or-treating in Beverly Hills? I mean, good Lord, Gucci Hershey bars and, <laughs> you, know, you know, whatever. I mean, of course I'm going to take my kids there. And that's why they go there. <laughs> well, actually, around the corner from us in our neighborhood, and according to my sons, is that there was a uh, the guy that works for uh, Mars Candy Bar Company, and he had full size candy bars. And guess where everybody went? Yeah, that's that, that's that's just the killer right there. When you get the reputation of being the full size candy guy, yep, kids are going there. They, In they Portland, want- we have neighborhoods where they literally people will rent school buses and bring a bus full of children to the neighborhood to trick yep. or treat. That's usually the doctor and 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 dentist neighborhoods. <laughs> <laughs> My, my late uncle had a home haunt in a town a couple over from us and he was known as that halloween guy you know <laughs> he went all out i mean he had you know all the cool decorations he had he had full-size candy bars he had potato chips he had fruit he had 
you know, trail mix. He had all this stuff. He'd take like almost a year to prepare for the next year. Um, we would go over there and act at his haunt. And there would be, you know, church groups bringing hay rides, driving down the road and parking at the top of the neighborhood and waiting until he lit the torches, so to speak. And then all the kids would jump out <laughs> and hit his place and then go and hit the rest of the neighborhood. But, you know, yes, I, I, I see the hay rides and I see the golf carts and I see the people being bussed in from other areas. That's that's, uh, you, you know, you get that reputation of being a neighborhood friendly, friendly to Halloween trick or treaters. Well, you know, I, in the in the area I live, there's an area of older people. You know, they the the neighborhood that was there from the '60s, and you know, a lot of those people have lived there all that time, and they don't have their grandkids coming over for Halloween, and all the kids have aged out. I think as Storm had said at one point, but then you go into these newer neighborhoods that have been built in the last decade or so, and they're young families, and they got young kids, and and the families all seem seem to get together. Something I've noticed in the last, you know when my kids were young enough to trick or treat, a lot of these parents would actually sit in the driveway. They'd have a little fire pit going. They would have decorations, not, not home haunt type, but really cool display, some spirit Halloween kind of stuff. And rather than going to the door, you'd go up the driveway and they'd all be sitting up there and they're just, you know, several families sitting there. There's probably some beverages of an adult nature being consumed at the time, but you know, they had great candy and they were all, you know, some of them in costume and, you know, wishing everybody happy Halloween and giggling and laughing. And there'd always be some guy running around with a fake machete and a Jason mask, you know, uh -huh. menacing, you know, two or three yards at a time. It, it's it's become a big community event in the area that I'm in right now, at least in the neighborhoods with younger families. Well, it's something that Storm brought up then, too. I, uh, for a time, lived in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is right next door to Camden. Then we had... Uh, Dave Schultz, who lived in our neighborhood. Dave Schultz played for the Philadelphia Flyers. He was known to spend more time in the penalty box than actually being on the ice. There's a tradition with the Flyers is that whenever they would win a, a game, they would get a case of Tasty Cakes, which were Philadelphia-based at the time. And they would uh, found out from Dave that he hated Tasty Cakes. And so guess what he give, gave out every single Halloween? We got big things of tasty cakes that were put into our stuff then so it was a lot of fun but, but it was a it that was a good time nah, that's a new jersey halloween tasty cakes tank a boost and a, a popcorn ball to break your teeth on there you go <laughs> i think the other thing uh too is uh you know, the evolution of the home haunters. You've seen like Spirit Halloween over the years went from just sexy costumes to actually having a lot of decor and home haunter decor. And, yep. and now, now they're really getting into licensing movies and stuff too. You want the Hocus Pocus or Nightmare Before Christmas, you're going to Spirit for it right now. And they've, they've over the past 20 years really changed to the home haunters. Uh, I think, um, I think that badger you're talking about the trunker treats i i think the thing that's going to kill trunker treats is your generic commercialization you know it, 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 they have now trunker treat kits and, but it's like oh minecraft and it's a banner and it's this and that i think that people really enjoy doing that and decorating their cars and people have started the trunker treat thing to have it I, they're starting to become home haunters and having access to stuff like 12 foot skeletons uh is is really doing it i mean it's unbelievable how popular the 12 foot skeletons are and it's unbelievable that you know you get one you need more 
you know that you, you, you it, it's like guinea pigs i you can't have one it's going to die on its own i need like six of them so you keep going by more and more yards with the giant skeletons out there with that um you know the big thing is the home haunters around here like i said warwick has like 20 or 30 really massive very just intricate big displays many of them walk through but that's starting to cause another problem because now you're getting people who feel that you know they they own these and this is their thing and they'll show up whenever they want and they're now walking through when the lights aren't on and the stuff isn't there walking through these people's yards knocking on the door and telling them hey can you turn on the lights can you turn on your haunt thing it's like, uh, it's September. I haven't built it all yet, you know. Or it's you know two in the afternoon on a Tuesday. No, so that's that's the uh, weird thing. And it's it's not just a one or two off. We're seeing more and more of that uh, here, and and people just demanding you know that these home haunts, which are put them out out of their own pocket and everything, they're demanding sort of the level of a haunted attraction if they're paying admission for them. So that's that's getting weird. But, you know, again, I don't know if that's society or just, you know, Halloween's growing faster than it can uh, accommodate for. I'm looking at the clock and I know we need to start winding this down just a little bit. So I'll throw this out to our guests. Where do you see Halloween evolving over the next you know generation or two? I mean, it's, it's a constant thing. Haunted houses have been evolving. Horror movies have been evolving. But what about the holiday itself? Do you see any trends going on there? I know a couple of years ago we had a conversation with a very big name haunter who owns a haunt down in Texas. And he said that in his opinion, he thought haunted attractions were going to start transitioning more towards traditional Halloween. And over the last couple of years, I've seen more companies at Transworld and other shows coming out with custom jack-o'-lanterns custom witches custom black cats it's almost like the cycle is going back away from blood guts and gore and kind of going back more almost a nostalgic craze going back towards the halloweens that we remember but i'm wondering if we're going to evolve past that what 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 do our guests think about you know where where are we going to be in halloween in 2035 or 33 or whatever it, it, I think it's right. It's, it's an evolving thing, but um, I think that there's still going to be a horror element to it. Maybe not as much of a horror element to it. Then I think it's going to be much more a match mass uh, mass appeal. Then um, I mean, every year we see about how much more and more sales are of candy and of all sorts of uh, decorations for the home haunts are coming through and uh, and things. I personally would love to see it just continuing on to evolve, but still with the throwbacks to the traditionals uh, that we have, that we've talked about here then, but um, I have no control of the future whatsoever. So <laughs> I think it's going to keep meshing with more regionalized things um, like here in uh, the Southern part of the U S I think we're going to see more details, mortos coming in and combining with Halloween. Um, we're already seeing a lot of that just in the last 10 years, I can go to like my local Ralph's supermarket and buy Dia de los Muertos candies next to the Halloween candies. Um, and so I think that will happen all over the world, that Halloween will start to take on more of the local regional flavor. I think I agree with that, that it's kind of morphing into ways for communities to personalize things themselves. 
And as America and other parts of the world grow more diverse and, and see other possible traditions and share them, then it becomes possible to, you know, meld those into your traditions. I, we agree. We have a very large Hispanic population in Portland. So that last weekend of the haunt, in which is the first one of November, is really very Dia de los Muertos uh, themed and not so much the, the spooky Halloween theme. I think we're going to see that continue. And I, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised to see things continue to get a little more sophisticated. If you look at where they came up out of the Great Depression into little higher sophistication levels and some of the things, that's what led to things like Disneyland, the Haunted Mansion, which was just a whole nother level of sophistication and effects for people. I'm hoping that we're, we're right on the cusp of a new age of haunting and Halloween appreciation uh, for what it is and for what we can do uh, as, as people with it. You know, there's there's no denying that Dia de los Muertos has has taken a major foothold, um, not just in the southern U.S., but, you know, in, in cities like New Orleans and, you know, large Hispanic populations in Florida and in, you know, and other states. Um, do you see other cultures making that kind of an impact? I know Krampus over the last 10 years or so has made an impact around Christmas. And that's, you know, Middle European, uh, Alp countries, Germanic countries. Do you see maybe like with the large Japanese population, maybe see Onis and, and that kind of culture meshing into Halloween or or anything like that? I definitely think you're going to see some of those. I noticed one of the biggest uh, costumes out there for little girls and little boys are from Demon Slayer, which has to do with all the Onis and everything from Japanese culture. My daughter's 21 and she's obsessed with it. So. You know? Anime anime is huge right now among, you know, Gen Z millennials and you know, I hate to admit I watch it with my kids a lot and so I watch it with I, I do wonder. My local uh, spirit store had like an entire wall of manga and anime costumes and I I think not only that but I think we'll also see it take on even more localized things. Um I mean I know that for example here in LA we always see local haunts that deal with the past of the film industry or the theater industry or our downtown history. And um, I think that's something that will certainly continue on a very, like very localized and regionalized um, case. I, agree I think what's, <clears throat> I think what's neat about Halloween and where, you know, it'll, it'll evolve with culture is it's a very social event. It's a gathering event. And, you know, that's what you're seeing. Uh, it's spread the most in other countries and cultures is they're absorbing it into a festival type of thing. Unfortunately, uh, you know, the big example is look at Seoul, Korea last year with the uh, Halloween crush, which was, you know, it, it wasn't a big Halloween parade or party. It was just everyone going out for Halloween. It's Halloween, we're going out, we're doing something for a nightlife thing. And everything was out there and, and you know that turned into a tragedy and something that, you know, they they have to plan for and go with. It's something people are 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 hungry for. They want the festival. They want to feel that community. They want to have this event to go out and and have fun and do something. And you know Halloween, there's a commercial aspect to it and everything, but, you know, like, Christmas has that aspect to it, but you also have all the other things. you got to decorate, you got to cook, you got to do this, you have to have gifts, you have to see Uncle Larry, you know, y y you're stuck with some of those things. Halloween is 
a social event, but also something where you're focusing on yourself. You want the best costume. You want to have a scare. You want to go with a group and have fun and be the life of the party. It's a very extrovert type of holiday. And even, you know, the introverts get sucked into the groups and, and you go out because, you know, events and, and, and haunted attractions are not fun to go by yourself. You, you've got to bring a group with it. Uh, so, so that's that's where I, I think we'll see more cultures get into it, as long as they can, you know, have a festival or something with it. I mean, um, up here uh, in uh, another week, a week from this weekend, when the show's airing, uh, the local police here sponsor a big festival and food truck thing uh, every couple of months. And they're doing a Halloween spooktacular one. So the big state park down the street, they're going to have food trucks, 200 vendors. They'll have, you know, touch a car, touch a fire truck and, and a big event during the day with it. Now be a couple of days before Halloween. And that, that'll probably be a big success. And you're also starting to see like pumpkin walks, that type of things, uh, you know, things being affordable, too, I think is going to be a push with Halloween. I think that's why some of these home haunts have gotten so big, because it's an affordable thing. I love haunted attractions and everything, and they give you a great show. But, you know, sometimes even if you're in a, a metro area, you know, you got to pay ten, fifteen dollars for parking. Then a mission ticket is anywhere from 20 to 30 40 dollars if you want vip now you're talking 50 60 ahead you know family of four or something that, that gets to be a lot but you know if you have a blueberry farm down the street that does a pumpkin walk for five ten dollars uh you're going to have ten thousand people show up to that in two nights uh which you know is fun for traffic and, and it's happened and uh uh also, just throw my two cents in with uh, where Halloween's going and stuff. It, you know, you look at it and it's it's always what scares people, but in a good way. Uh, I think we had a lot of the gore and stuff come up because of the 80s and 90s where we had campy horror films. You know, Freddy and, and, and Jason Voorhees were very gory, but it's also campy and had a weird humor to it. So it's something scary, but not, you know, horrific and frightening. Uh, the whole clown thing, you know, suddenly there are a couple clowns in the woods. Well, no one got kidnapped or, or murdered by a clown. They just had weird sightings with it. So it was scary, but not over the top. I think you're going to see stuff like the gore and the zombies fall off uh, because it deals with pandemics and that kind of stuff. And we just lived all that things. Uh, but the, the vintage Halloween is coming out where I think Halloween, you're going to start seeing attractions and, and a push for it is going to be ghosts and spirits. I think that's going to make a huge comeback uh, for haunted attractions and how well they can do them. Now you can, you know, you can, project a ghost and you can have holograms and it's more than just a pepper's ghost effect nowadays you can do some pretty neat digital and holographic effects on the cheap and not have to have a multi-million dollar setup for it and make sure that the people are standing only on the x to see it uh so i think some of those effects and ways to go with it and some of the stories you could tell with the traditional haunted house and how much people like the paranormal shows and stuff might be the direction we'll see uh you know haunts go into for what they need to have to scare people but in a in a good fun way
Well, Storm, you 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 bring up a good point then. And actually, um, the brewery here is in a, is an old town here, Waxhaw. Waxhaw it goes back two hundred years. I mean, we I mean it goes back even further here around here. Uh, last year, I uh, I was the host for a haunted tour through the town of Waxhaw here. And the gentleman who was collecting some of the stories was uh, collecting some of more of the horror type of things where uh, we had a mass shooting here back in the 1930s about things. But I, I tried to talk to him is that this is an old town. I bet you every single building around here has got some sort of uh, story about some sort of spirit. Like here in the, uh, in the brewery here, we've got two spirits that, uh, that cause little problems and things like that then too. But this year it's going to be much more of a haunted tour about talking about some of the experiences where people been so i definitely see that migration already happening too so it's very very cool we have something like that in the columbia river gorge here outside of portland where a series a bunch of the breweries now have a passport you can get and you go to each one and you test the flight and you get to hear the spooky story and you get your card stamped and then you go to the next one and you test the flight and you hear a spooky story and you get your card stamped so it is very much for adults, and and they're thinking of ways to incorporate into that. That's fantastic. And and, and how much does that story get embellished by about the third uh, place you hit at? I wonder. Yeah, really. <laughs> Any uh, final questions from our hosts or our guests? I like the co-hosts. <laughs> Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is, of course, the Halloween season. We always encourage you to get out and support your local haunts. Get out there, enjoy the festivals, all the pumpkin walks, the home haunters who spend so much time and effort making their Halloween properties much spookier, all the people who get together and, and tell scary stories and who do Halloween parties and do you know, ghost walks and everything else that makes this just such a fascinating time of the year. Um, get out there, folks. You've got a couple more weeks before the end of end of this season, and then we're all into that commercialized BS that we're not going to talk about right now. But there is Krampus coming, so we do have that to look forward to. But I would like to thank our guests and give them a chance to talk about some of the things that they're involved in, maybe plug a website or social medias where people can get more information about their products and or information, maybe the haunted attractions or books or beer that they that they deal with. Uh, Lisa, tell us a little bit about how, where can people can get more information about, about your books, uh, the lecture series you mentioned earlier. Where can people find that out with websites and social medias? Best place to go is lisamorton.com, which is easy to remember. From there, you can find links to all of my social media and to my new book, which I'll plug again with a visual right here. Um, and uh, also, you will find a link there to atlasobscura.com, where I am teaching the history of Halloween right now. And uh, thank you very much. And because this is audio, what is the name of the new book? The new book is The Art of the Zombie Movie. This is a coffee table art book with over 500 illustrations. Will that be available on places like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or will it be available on your site as well? It is available in all of those places. Very, very nice. Um, Beth, tell us a little bit about some of your ventures and the haunts you're affiliated with and where can people get more information? 
Well, if you want to check out Team Death, Derek and Beth, uh, we will be coming up the weekend before Halloween at the Joy Cinema in Tigard for Scarathon, an entire weekend of movies. Uh, Team Death will also be hanging out at Scaregrounds PDX, The Fear, and Underkill, all haunts in the Portland area. And if you want a nice drive-by, check out the Davis Graveyard in Milwaukee or Halloween on Franklin Street in Vancouver. Jeff and Chris Davis are wonderful people. We've had them on the show, and and their home haunt is astonishing they also have some else. excellent references on how to put things together for your own home haunt like tombstones and special effects and neil i know you're not affiliated with the haunt but you're going to have one hell of a party coming up in a couple of weeks and some other things going on around town where can people get more information and wow. maybe uh maybe order something <laughs> of an adult beverage nature well yes um uh, we we have a, uh, a, a an agreement with the Irish bar down here is that you guys get St. Patrick's Day, we get Halloween. So we're doing our seventh annual big Halloween haunt here. Uh, we have a lot of fun. It's more of an adult uh, party then. So, but you can check us out at dreamchasersbrewery.com or uh, waxhaw.com. That's W-A-X-H-A-W.com, which will have details about the Halloween haunt. And also we will be uh, rolling out is our... Uh, it's it's a it's a double beer actually then it's the banshee and it's spelled the traditional uh, Gaelic way um, and uh, because my mother was born uh, was uh, related to two different families I've got two banshees that are chasing after me then so so what did I do I decided to make a beer out of them then. so uh, it's going to be an imperial stout that's going to be uh, all sorts of things I think this year we're going to be doing is a German chocolate stout. And uh, we will be uh, having that just normally. But then the Whale of the Banshee is the aged uh, beer that's going to be aged in uh, Irish whiskey barrels for four months. So that'll come out on St. Patrick's Day. But the uh, the Banshee should be available for uh, Halloween, which I am really psyched about. So cool. So that is DreamChasersBrewery.com? That is correct, sir. Thank you. And the date of that party is? I believe it is the 28th of October then. Excellent. The Saturday before Halloween, I may have to run down to Waxaw, or the Waxaws, as they used to say in the old That's days. Right. Well, of course, we want to thank all our guests, Neil Gimmon, Beth Cook, and Lisa Morton for coming on and just having a fascinating conversation about Halloween and all the cool things that uh, make up the history and the culture and all that stuff. But we also could not do this without our fantastic co-hosts, including Storm. I'm already behind on carving jack-o'-lanterns, which I, I don't even have a pumpkin yet, so I think that's a problem. Uh, so I got to fix that. But uh, just remember, everybody, only 53 more weeks to plan for next Halloween. There you go. Don't you have a, a projection with singing jack-o'-lanterns? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. I got that. But that's, you know, I, I got carved some, too, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Also want to thank Meat Hook Jim. I'm carving my jack-o'-lantern out of a turnip. <laughs> And filling it with some uh, Whale of the Banshee Absolutely. whiskey beer. Sounds like a plan. Also want to wish a very successful rest of the season and a big thank you to Jonna, the old crone. Tell us a little bit where people can get information on your haunt as well. Well, the website is BansheeManor.com. We're located in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're open on Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays through Halloween. And I want some of that artwork from your your banshee stuff because i'm not a drinker but i would love like some of the uh labels or something that i can 
frame, I think that would be awesome. And does anybody know where you can find fake turnips? Because I'm only going to carve a turnip once. I want some fake ones that I can display in my haunt. Somebody at Transworld needs to uh, make foam turnips. Yes. Carving Seriously. At some point. Seriously. That, that would be awesome. My name is Drew Badger, and I just want to thank each and every one of the haunted attractions that had me come out and do actor workshops this year in North Carolina, Virginia, Delaware, California, all of the others that I worked with. And just a reminder that on November 1st at 12.01 a.m., I do offer my one and only half-price special to any haunt that confirms my services for next year. You can get more information at rabidbadger.org, and you must contact me through that website in order to take advantage of that very special deal. You are listening to the Roundtable of Terror, folks, and if we haven't said it 37 times already this episode, happy Halloween from the Big Scary Show. November 1st should be National Haunt Purchasing Day. It could be a National Day of Mourning. Although it kind of is. It is, but some cultures. Hey, this is Jerry Vane for The Big Scary Show, and I am at Curio Corner with... Michelle Kahn. Michelle, uh, this is some amazing curio cabinets and uh, handmade... uh, What would you call them? (laughs) Good question. They're actually pretty much shelving units. For any of your collections or things that you pick up the show today, great way to display them at home. Okay. And... um, I'm looking. Some of these, some of these are lit from inside. Some of them are static. Um, I mean, the, the work here is just incredible. Thank you so much. My husband and I have been making and creating and painting. So, um, one of our. Are you okay? Um, so one of our objectives was really just to make some really cool shelving systems. All right. Um, if anybody is interested in taking a look at your uh, what you do, where where can they find you? On Instagram at Curio Corner underscore CO. Okay. And uh, do you do shipping and all that? For- yes, we do okay. do shipping. Yep. All right, great. Well, thank you for uh, t- uh, taking a minute to talk to me. 
I got people waiting behind me. So um, again, this is Curio Corner at the Oddities and Curiosity Expo in Denver, Colorado, and I am out. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Greetings, listeners, listeners, and welcome. Welcome. Watch out! Don't trip over that torso. It's time for between the the corpses. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to episode 300 of the Big Scary Show. And I can't even begin to tell you what episode of Torture and Execution this is on Between the Corpses. But we're going to jump right into it with the Guillotine's Innovators. The man credited with launching France's famous decapitation machine was Dr. Guillotine. Bizarrely, his motives were humanitarian and his empathy with convicted prisoners sincere. On October 10, 1789, Dr. Joseph Ignatius Guillotin argued in front of the newly formed French Assembly. He called for the same method of execution to apply to rich and poor, and for it to be delivered in a uniform manner by machine, to rule out human vagaries. Further, Guillotin wanted the estates of the condemned left untouched by the state, their families to be protected from public abuse, and for the bodies of the executed to be returned to their loved ones for burial. Within two years, the French deputies, won over by his arguments, declared that every person condemned to the death penalty shall have his head severed. Advice was sought. What method would satisfy Guillotin's desire for a quick, dignified and method of dispatch. Dr. Antoine Louis from the Academy of Surgery urged Guillotin to investigate the Halifax gibbet and the Scottish maiden. This apparatus would not be felt and would hardly be perceptible, he insisted. The evidence was persuasive. In the spring of 1792, German harpsichord maker Tobias Schmidt was paid 960 francs to build an imitation of the British models. Although similar to its cross-channel cousin, the French version was was refined with a hinge benched upon which the condemned was strapped and swung into position. Victims no longer had to kneel in position. They were supported in their final moments, reducing the margin of error. Within a month, it was tested on humane on human corpses to monitor its efficiency, then on live animals. It is said that King Louis XIV, visiting Schmidt in disguise, suggested that the curved blade be changed to one with an oblique angle to improve efficiency. On April 25, 1792, the guillotine went into action for the first time in Paris. The victim was highwayman Nicolas Jacques Pelletier, but while executioner Charles Henri Sanson was impressed with his new machine, the crowds departed in disappointment. It was over too quickly and lacked 
the drama of hangings and the like. The contraption was first called the Louisette after Dr. Louis, but the name was dropped in favor of others, including the National Razor, the Widow, the People's Avenger, and the Red Theater. However, it was guillotine, inspired by the man who shook up the capital punishment system that stuck. Already the French Revolution was underway. The king had been mobbed at Versailles in 1789, the Bastille was stormed, and the new assembly had made a declaration of the rights of man. But while the guillotine made its debut, the appalling butchery that lay ahead was largely unsuspected. Wow. That's a little bit of history of the guillotine that I didn't know, and I think there's more guillotine history to come in future episodes, so stay tuned. And welcome and thank you for listening to episode 300 of The Big Scary Show. Hi, this is Neil Gimmon, the owner of the Dream Chasers Brewery in beautiful downtown Waxhaw, North Carolina, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. Marty Rustam presents a new horror classic, Eden Alive. Hello? Created by Toby Hooper, maker of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mel Ferrer, Carolyn Jones, Stuart Whitman, Who's there? Neville Brand. The most terrifying 90 minutes you ever spent in a theater, eaten alive. A VIP picture, rated R. Greetings, it's Storm here. Hey, I just wanted to wish you a awesome Halloween for 2023. Hope it's been great for you. Hope you're doing something really cool. And don't forget, keep the good candy for yourself. So, happy Halloween! This is Jerry Vane, and I'm here at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo in Denver, Colorado. And you probably heard that about five, ten times already since I'm with all the other clips I've done. And I am here at the Manfield, well, I'll let him say it because it's got a lot of names. Uh, it's Doug Mansfield Art, also Mansfield Monsters. If you are into horror, haunt, and especially tiki, this seriously is the stuff you need to go and find and add to your collection uh some of these these are some of the funnest things i've seen the whole the entire convention while i've been here you're obviously very heavily inspired by shack absolutely and but tell us tell tell us where you get the inspiration for all these because some of these are just so unique well all the cool stuff that's ever happened um all the way back from jazz and blues and music, punk rock, um, and Shag. <laughs> I told Shag that when I met him. I said, uh, you, he was the reason I went back to art school, single-handedly. Um, so, everything, though. Adam's Family, Munsters, Monster Movies. Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion. Anything that you can name that's uh, cool in, in pop culture, that's uh, what I take it from. And now, I was talking to Michelle earlier, and she said that this is one of the probably the biggest crowds they've had 
for this show in Colorado. Yep. And I've come by here three times already before you finally had an opening to talk. And the convention's only been open, what, maybe four hours? Yep. If that? Yep. And we've been here since it opened, so yeah, this has been crazy. How has the convention been doing for you? Well, phenomenal. It's always great. We started with them, actually, back in, I can't remember when they started the oddities, but I think it was around 2017, something like that, but it was down at the Fox Compound. And we've done it every year. Uh, last year, I think, was their biggest show of the whole year in Denver, out of all the cities. This year, I imagine, would be close, if not the biggest as well. Love the show. Love the people running it. It's just incredible. And uh, that's why I do this show every year, no matter what. And you've got a, a, a big mixture of different things. Buttons, patches, stickers, uh, artwork. I mean, I, I, my wife is eyeballing so many different things. I mean, there's clothes, too. Yeah, absolutely. Everything we can make, uh, put the art on, we'll do it. Um, so that's just been our mission from day one when we started doing art shows 2016, was to get uh, as much stuff out to as many people as we could for as cheap as we can. And I'm going to make sure that uh, I pass this information on to the uh, different tiki groups as well because, I mean, th- this stuff, we walked by and went, oh, God, we got to get that. we got to get that. We had to narrow it down a little bit. we got to get that. <laughs> Now, um, where can people find you online, social media and all that, if they um, want to purchase your stuff? Absolutely no social media. I'm off of everything. But MansfieldMonsters.com is where all the merchandise lives. Also, DougMansfieldArt.com. That's where I have a lot of um, past exhibits, things like that, some of the paintings you can see on there that I do. I also do uh, painting. I mean, that's the, the main reason I went to uh, schools for that in education, so... Uh, yep, those are the two websites that you can find stuff. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. It's getting busy again, so I'm going to let you get back to work. But, uh, again, Mansfield Monsters, DougMansfieldArt.com. Um, and you, you seriously need to check this stuff out because my wife just emptied our bank account. Anyway, <laughs> uh, this is Jerry Vane for The Big Scary Show, and I am out. Ragdolls, Halloween night on The Big Scary Show. Oh,
Hey guys, it's Todd Tucker, director from The Terror of Hallow's Eve, and you are listening to The Big Scary Show. Ohio Haunted House owners, actors, and enthusiasts, join the new Ohio Haunters Association. We are working with haunters across the state, from home to pro, to strengthen the Ohio haunt community. Open to all owners, actors, makeup artists, prop builders, designers, and Halloween paranormal enthusiasts. The Ohio Haunters Association, where haunting is the heart of it all. Look for us on Facebook. <laughs> it's time for Ask the Old Crone. <laughs> it's Halloween. And what's better on Halloween than a ghost story? This is an original story that I wrote based on one of the characters in my haunted attraction. It's called The Blacksmith. I hope you enjoy it. He could feel the cold wetness of the Scottish mud slowly seeping into his boots. A long sigh emitted from him at the thought of making yet another attempt to repair the old things. Perhaps it was time to barter with the cobbler in exchange for his blacksmithing skills. He had learned the trade from his father, who learned from his. Four generations of tradesmen, known for miles to provide the best wares for villagers and warriors alike. No job too small or too big for excellence he'd been taught and he'd followed that tradition once the establishment was his alone. The blacksmith was well known for his skill in creating both beautiful and deadly weaponry. 
knowing the utilization of such instruments and the resulting death and destruction they inflicted, rarely weighed on him as he laid his head to rest at night. That was until the day his nightmare began. The day he met Laird McCrawley. The clan patriarch was a ruthless old bastard and a sadistic side that would rival Vlad the Impaler. The blacksmith grew up hearing whispers of the McCrawlicks and how evil they were. The clan was often seen in the village, bullying their way through the market, taking any merchandise they wanted, and taunting the women. His mother would always rush him inside before their paths crossed. On the day of his first true encounter, the laird's large body filled the doorway of his shop, and the blacksmith shuddered with fear, being caught unaware of his presence. The chieftain was every bit the mountainous man he ever was. The laird's order that day was inconsequential, and merely an audition to satisfy the laird's curiosity regarding the blacksmith's skill to create the weapons and tools to his liking. After showing off examples of his work, he was informed that the laird's personal blacksmith had met an untimely accident and died. He was to be the replacement and take residence within the castle immediately. He tried to decline. This was his family business. He couldn't abandon it and his family. The laird glared at him, his eyes burrowing into the blacksmith's own. This is not an offer, not even a request. It is what will be. No, sire, I cannot. Please don't make me. Please, please. The blacksmith's words were immediately quieted by two of the clansmen, grabbing him and placing his arm over the anvil. One pulled the broadsword and held it above the limb, looking at the laird for direction. Nah, lad, you come to the castle or else you lose your arm. Then how will you feed your kin? The laird paused to revel in the fear crossing the blacksmith's face. I'll take care of him, but you will do as I say. The blacksmith's heart was pounding and his arm trembling despite the tight grip of the man holding him down. He looked away from the laird's smirking smile and slowly nodded his head. The laird walked towards him and picked up the metal rod sitting in the hot coals of the forge. He twirled the rod, admiring the changes in color caused by the heat then lowered it only inches above the blacksmith's face. Now, lad, so you'll always have a reminder of what could befall you if you decline at my rule again. The blacksmith cried out in pain as the white-hot rod of steel was placed against his face over and over again as the smell of burning flesh quickly filled the air. The blacksmith subconsciously rubbed the scars left from that day. How many deaths had been caused by the weapons he had forged? How many innocent people had been maimed with his tools of torture? How many centuries had passed 
since his soul became trapped in this evil place as punishment for his contribution to the McCrawlick's evil ways. There's a deserted theater down by the pier, and if you value your life, you won't go there. Or up in the balcony and down every row, a killer with a knife roams ready to strike in the Flesh and Blood Show. They were young and beautiful actors and actresses, but little did they know they would meet a deadly fate in the Flesh and Blood Show. Ah, those young people of Shakespeare and love, they thought they knew all there was to know. But behind the scenes, a killer awaited them in the Flesh and Blood Show. So you brave and bold moviegoers, listen to me when I tell you what you ought to know. That the most chilling experience of your life will occur when you see The Flesh and Blood Show. The Flesh and Blood Show, brought to you by EVI in color, rated R. The B-Movie Monsters, 1031, on the Big Scary Show. Hello everybody, Drew Badger here. We're live on the road down in Piedmont, South Carolina in the upstate. Looking at I-85 just over the way here. We are at Mad World Haunted Attraction. It has been several years since I've been out here, pre-COVID at least. I've come here tonight and just went through it with my daughter and I am completely blown away with the acting, especially the acting, the set designs, they have built a whole bunch of new stuff. I got the Thompson brother here, Joe, Joseph, and Tim. How are you guys doing? Doing great. Doing awesome. It's a beautiful Friday the 13th evening. You, you could not beat the weather tonight. It's probably about 65 right now. It's supposed to get down by 
you know, 59 by the time you close. It's cloudy. It's Friday the 13th. I'm assuming this is your first big weekend. Everything's kicking into high gear, but, you know, the numbers over here, the crowds in here. You've made some major changes over the last few years since I've seen you guys. Yeah, we definitely have. Uh, we've made a lot of changes in, in the past four or five years uh, to bring our production up many levels. I mean, it's the last time I came here, half of it was a, uh, you know, trail. You don't have trail going on now. It's all, you know, almost all indoors except you're walking in between stuff. But, my God, this is, this is just fantastic. How have you done it? I mean, it's just, it's just incredible. Yeah, so how we do it is uh, a lot of money. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, you got to have that pesky money, we, don't we, you? We throw a lot of money into this, and it just snowballs. We spend more and more and more every year. I mean, it's well in the six figures that we do improvements every season. But along with that, you have to have the talent, the talent to be able to create the talent. And we have a great haunt designer, uh, artist that, that does all of our set designs. Uh, he is fantastic. I would say he's one of the best around. And uh, he has, you know, come to Mad World, worked with us the last few years, and really taken our sets into a absolutely number one level. Uh, and that was one thing I feel like in the early years that we lacked we had great actors, we had good attendance, we had a good show, but we didn't have a lot of eye candy to go with it. Now our eye candy is absolutely unbelievable. We have added, I mean, umpteen animatronics. We're, we've gotten four compressors running. Uh, we've got more. So, But we also know that you cannot replace an animatronic, you know, uh, an, a live actor with an animatronic. I feel like there's got to be a good place that you can put them and still use our live actors. Uh, we even use a lot of actor-matronics where the actors actually use the animatronic and operate it themselves. But we always want to give you that 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 you know that live actor along with the special effects, uh, you know, the moving floors, the all you know, the bridges that drop. All that stuff is stuff that we want to create that goes with the show. And I believe we we have an absolutely unbelievable, unbeatable ingredients here to create this haunted attraction we have. Well, I can't disagree with you at all. As I said, it's been several years since I've been here, and about half your half your show the last time I was here was trail, going between the various buildings that you had, and you know now it's just an even flow. It flows very well together. And if there's not a hundred hundred and fifty actors working tonight, I would be shocked because. I didn't see a single solo actor. There seemed to be two or three in a room. You know, is that by design or is that just kind of just how you just got so many you got to find places to put them? It's by design. You know, we've always been, uh, even from the beginning in year one in 2011, we were always uh, tried to be actor heavy with what we had. That was 25 people at the time, but it was still heavy for what we had. Yep. Uh, so we've always been really involved in trying to create more of an interactive space. Now the Q-Line guys out here have just been terrifying people all day. I saw a couple of, I believe this is a, is this a Kevin Alvey puppet out here? It sure is, yeah, and it's it's our newest one this year. So. Oh, excellent, and, and he's fantastic. Saw a couple of Gorgalore props in there, saw a lot of just great set design. So much improved out here, man. I am, I'm loving the fact, you know, I've been coming here over 10 years, and I've just seen you guys grow every year. And by the way, congratulations on this, your 13th year in existence. What a day to come out on Friday the 13th into your 13th anniversary here. It's fantastic. And I, I, and I, all I can say is 
I'm blown away by how much impress how impressed I am here. I mean, you got fire spinners out here. You got you got all this just it's just great entertainment. This to me is a destination now. You can just come out here. There's several haunts in the area, but I know you're going to spend at least an hour, hour and a half out here just hanging out and watching all the cool stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, we have something for everybody. Uh, what we wanted to create that nobody really has is really a haunted house festival, if you will. So, you know, we, cool have, we, we love the fall, but here you go. You've got an actual theme park. You know, you think of theme parks like Disney World or Carowinds or Six Flags, and, and you go through there, and there's places you eat. There's, you know, great, great restaurants, great little places. You places, little carnival games. So we took that concept and put a haunted house spin on it. So now you got a theme park. you got a picnic shelter. You have, you know, all these great foods, vendors, fried Oreos. You know, you've got, you know, coffees. I mean, there's, all, there's something for everybody here, along with carnival games where you can win prizes. And then if someone that don't even really want to be scared or go to the trail, we've got 18 holes of mini golf. We have axe throwing. And, and this is so it is really something that people can come and immerse themselves into an evening of family fun. And I can tell you this, it's not stopping. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue to blow this thing more than more than you could ever imagine. We're constantly got ideas. This is going to get bigger and better. So hang on to your hold on to your seats because we're going to keep moving. I, I, I expect roller coasters any day now. Well, well, uh, funny you should say. Funny that. you should say that. Oh, we're looking. We're we're working on um, some possibilities of some things, but uh, but yeah, you know, right now is when we're planning for next year. This is when we're looking around and we're saying, hey, let's change that. Let's move that. Let's add this here. Uh, so we've got some really big plans for next year and what we're doing to create more of what Tim just said, the family atmosphere. Look, families are, you know, we're, we're more than haunters and Halloween lovers and passion for all things scary. We're ticket sellers. We're in the business to sell tickets. So uh, families, mom and dads are the ones that have the money, not the 20-year-olds, not the teenagers. So uh, the past five years, bringing out the no scare medallion, bringing out the mini golf, the other things that we have, has brought a lot more families and small children into our park to be able to have fun, be safe, and have a great Halloween time. Well, funny you should say that, too, because we also went through with a group of six, and three of them were, were young children, so apparently a couple of families there, and they all had a great time, as did my daughter and myself. So before, I know you guys are busy, all the things, and got to put out fires and not just the big bonfire or the guy spinning toy over here you know if you're driving up i-85 maybe you're heading up towards the high country to go see some leaves which are just starting to change out here you're traveling between atlanta greenville spartanburg charlotte maybe you're just um running up and down the interstate and you got the hankering to see a great haunted house that you can see literally from the interstate exit 35 i-85 in south carolina where could people get more information? I assume they can get tickets online. And when is your last day? And are you doing anything like a blackout night for your last night? Are you doing anything for Christmas or anything like that? Where could people get more information about Mad World down here in Piedmont, South Carolina? Our last day is November 4th. Uh, so people can buy tickets online at madworldattractions.com. Our whole calendar's there showing every day we're open along with the times. Uh, you can learn more information there. We uh, highly suggest... To get your tickets online, you can skip the ticket line, saves time, go straight to the main queue lines, uh, and try to get here as early as possible. And if you hate long lines, Sundays are a great option. 
Uh, I did notice a Krampus here. Do you have any uh, kind of Christmassy thing in mind? Uh, not exactly. Um, we would love to do that, and certainly I wouldn't say it's never out of the cards. Uh, but we focus everything around here. And here's the other thing. We have so many actors, and it's such a large production. Is also a large cost. Just to, Our operating okay. cost is absolutely unbelievable. It's crazy. <laughs> so, uh, you know, everybody wants to get paid, right? So at the end of the day, it's hard to really create enough marketing to be able to really come and switch and then change and throw the money that it really needs to make it a Christmas show. So that's one of the challenges just due to our operation and our size in order to do the, to do that, but it's never. I'll never say never. So we'll, we'll nice. put it that way. Well, once again, folks, MadWorldAttractions.com. That's plural. Uh, it's exit 35 off I-85 in the Upstate of South Carolina. Again, you're traveling between Charlotte and Atlanta, Greenville, Columbia, you know wherever, and you want to come see a dynamite that blew my mind away haunted attraction for the 2023 season. Go to Mad World. You will not be disappointed. Tim, Joseph, pleasure again to see you guys. I know it's been a couple of Thank years. You very much. I Thank am you. completely blown away. My daughter, she enjoyed it. We've had a great time here. We're going to go and just think about this one for a while. We're grateful to be on the podcast. Thanks for having us. Absolutely, guys. Once again, folks, my name is Drew Badger down here at Mad World in Piedmont, South Carolina, and we're out. Enter the haunted world of Fright Find and discover an environment dedicated to promoting your haunt. Target customers who will influence others on attending haunted attractions as Fright Find brings in scream seekers looking for haunted places, events, and accommodations of every sort. Various exposure options give you the ability to reach your audience throughout the year. Don't be afraid. Go to FrightFind.com now to add your haunt for free and see for yourself the difference Fright Find will make in your haunt listing. back once again dear listeners and dear frighteners welcome once again to yet another very special edition of the Vister's haunted vista on this the 300th episode of the big scary show right around or on halloween itself so happy halloween or Samhain or whatever you prefer dear listeners here we are yet again the ghouls are out and the treats are flowing free Before I begin with anything else, I want to offer my heartiest congratulations to Drew, 
Jim and Storm and all else in Asunder, who have maintained this ship since about 2014, and I've been lucky enough to be a good part of it for just about as long, give or take a few years rest here and there. You beautiful, adorable, lovable creature. Okay, okay, you guys, simmer down. Jeez, give somebody a compliment and they just go bananas. Bah, humbug. Get out of here. Next up, I want to apologize for the state of my segment. In the last episode, I am completely uncertain as to what happened because it was quite clean when I listened to the playback and it was just a jumbled mess on the show itself, so if something got lost in the transition. As you can probably tell, I will be a lot more careful at this point, but it is what it is, and again, my humble apologies who found that to be an unprofessional mess. A curse on you and your house! All right, then. With all that under the bridge, we are going to continue and conclude with my extended look into 20 years of experience of home haunting from the apartment perspective. It just tickles me pink. I thought this was only going to be one part because I really didn't know what to say. And look, we here we are at the third installment, and hopefully we'll get through everything this time. Awkward. Just to bring things up to speed here, I left off at 2011, and we're going to start at 2012, but before that... For those who want a more visual accompaniment to this, as I said last time, go over to our blogspot page, The Vicer's Halloween Haunt Journal. In June of 2015, I did a extensive photo intensive piece about 10 years at that point of home haunting. And beginning that same year, every November, I did an annual post on what we accomplished and saw that season. So, if you want a little more of a look at what was going on and what I'm talking about here, wander on over there and pick up the baton and we'll start where we left off, which is 2012. This is a major year of change from my wife and I in terms of our career as home haunters as A, this is where I began to contribute to another podcast for the next two years, but I won't go into that right here, and B, this is where the apartment management allowed us to have full reign and use as much of the yard as we wanted to. Now, truth be told, my wife and I had no clue what we were going to do with that front yard space now that we had it. We had a few inkling ideas of a cemetery, but that's as far as it went. And if you look at the photos from that year, it really didn't amount to much. But it was a start. That was the big thing. But I have to give full due to that podcast I was working on in terms of the interviews with other home haunters and professional haunters, their websites and such. We gleaned a ton of information which we would not have had had I not been on that show for those two years. So my hat's off to all those people and thank you very much because this is where the rubber really starts to meet the road with us. This was the year we built some of our most durable and long-lasting props. I'm referring to the dungeon walls that adorn our patio every season. These things are tough. We've had to do very, very little work in terms of maintenance, but they're made of a particularly thick grade of styrofoam from Home Depot. I'm fairly certain it's the densest they have available in terms of its thickness, and these things have gone from strength to strength to strength every year, except for one or two years where we built something else of the same density and they're just gathering dust right now so <laughs> oh well what can you say this is also the year we learned how to use our cameras in halloween express halloween usa and spirit and when we saw how expensive some props were we basically took pictures came home and built them ourselves and well needless to say one of them i.e halloween express got really ticked off at us and we got banned from life from our local store Needless to say, the management has changed, so we go in there anyway these days, so you figure it out. Da -da -da, we're dead. I saw a very interesting couple of posts on Facebook discussing the commercialization of Halloween and the industry that's risen up in the wake of this, and I'm 50-50 on it. 
Yes, I agree 100%. We started grassroots and built just about everything from scratch and had ate up just about every spare minute we had. And to be perfectly blunt, we would not have the haunt we have without the use of store-bought props. And that includes the animatronic figures and the blow-ups. But I concur. It's up to the individual. What works and what limits for one person is not the same as the next. So I really can't comment on it, but I will say... I do feel that if you're just putting stuff out there that you bought from the store, it loses a certain amount of creativity and soul to it, which is one of the main reasons my wife and I do what we do. And to wrap this thought up, we bought a pair of masks, one of Bela Lugosi's Dracula, the other of the 1979 Mr. Barlow from the Salem's Lot TV miniseries, and we built them up from the ground up. That's the only commercial aspect we use. So I think blending them is actually a pretty good idea sometimes. This was also the year we got the remnants of Hurricane Sandy to blow through here, and we just had leaves all over the front yard, which actually heightened the effect. So make of that what you will as well. Everyone's got a gimmick now. 2013 saw us expand our cemetery a lot. We built a mountain of stones, most of which are still in our current display. We also went to a more organic level, theme-wise. We got inspired by a guy named Pumpkin Rot. Everybody familiar with him? And we created a Pumpkin King and Minion scene. And it was so simple and basic, it took us so little time to put together, and it just blew people away. Something for the life of us, we couldn't figure out why. Sometimes the simpler things in life are the best. Literally, not one day passed from the time we erected the haunt till we took it down six weeks later that someone did not come by with a camera. Some evenings, two or three times a night, which, like I said, considering the simplicity of it, I never understood why. Object lesson. Keep it simple and do what you do best. Stretching is good, but it's a risky business as we found out the next year. Also, so much love and gratitude for our dear friends Mike and Sandy Wozniak. Sandy, who I went to high school many, many, many moons ago, and her husband gifted us with over $1,000 of old Halloween props that summer beforehand, and we used and still use quite a bit of them to this day. Most of them still hold up, There's, and they asked nothing in return. Truly wonderful people. Incidentally, we do gift a lot of our old props to old young friends of ours who we've worked with either in haunted houses or are just friends or sons and daughters of neighbors because, quite frankly, if we kept everything, we wouldn't be able to get into the apartment anymore. Ha 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 ha. And it just feels good to help with some of the young people even though we think it's junk. One man's treasure is another man's trash, as they always say. Onward to 2014. <laughs> Twenty fourteen was a strange one. After years of being cajoled and out of promising, we finally break down and do the classic Lon Chaney Phantom of the Opera. Unfortunately, we don't take size into consideration, and our pipe organ does without the pipes because we didn't measure before we painted them, and they didn't fit on the patio, so basically we ended up as one person so courtly pointed out the Phantom of the Full Service Bar. Oh good grief. We also had a very strange year with our tabletop of terror. We were trying to emulate a Frankenstein's lab, and we were saving bottles from salad dressings and whatnot, and all kinds of lightning bolts that we made out of paper mache, and it just didn't come quite together. We decided after that one just basically to go back to a more gothic theme, but the bottom line here, preparation is everything. Still, on the flip side, our cemetery never looked better. I knew I was good, but I didn't know I was that good. 
Also worthy of note, 2014 marked the first of three years where my wife Lisa and I worked at the late lamented Springboro Haunted House and Black Bog in Springboro, Ohio, where we became immersed in the acting aspects of things, not to mention behind the scenes and the mechanics of running a haunted house, and became very close with many of the young people over there who still call us Ma and Pa Haunt. But more on that in a bit here. Onward to 2015. I'd suck it in if I were you. This year marked 10 years of residing at the same apartment complex and decorating as well for the same amount of time. We built a small crypt on the patio, not to mention a really nice mock-up of Lon Chaney's Vampire from London After Midnight, and our cemetery got ever more well-lit, with little bits and pieces here and there. This is also our second year of acting, where we really started to dig our teeth into things and make more friends, and not to mention the fact our costumes kind of resemble Chaney's Vampire from the film, and on our patio, but never mind, sometimes overkill can be a good thing. A very remarkable year, and as I said, 10 years gone really makes you turn back and think, but there is more to come. Let's try not to go to pieces. The 2016 season I'm particularly fond of because it didn't come easy. We had a lot of medical issues with both my wife and her mother, all of which resolved themselves fairly quickly, but still, it was a real drag to deal with. This is also the year that the Springboro Haunted Hayride closed its doors once and for all by the owner's choice, and I understood why. And... Basically, that was the last year we were really close to these young people, and the last in our old unit as well. Heavy changes were coming, but regardless of all of this, this is also the year we had one of our favorite Halloween parties. What did we learn? Keep kicking, keep screaming, keep pushing, because the end result will be worth it. And not to mention the fact some of our happiest memories of Halloween come from this season, so that says more than anything. And... To be perfectly blunt, the hardships didn't stop until the end of the year, because at the tail end of 2016, surprise, surprise, our apartment complex changed ownership and led to a lot of headaches in the next year. Rumble, rumble, rumble. Mutiny, mutiny, mutiny. When apartment complexes get new owners, everything gets turned upside down. Ours in particular decided they're going to renovate everybody's unit and made us move. And I mean all of us. What that basically led to is us not building one single prop all year long, primarily as every unit we chose was either getting renovated or they fell behind schedule, etc, etc. You get the drift. And we really had no clue when we were going to move, so we sucked it up and basically threw out our entire set one last time in our prior location with a really nice ghost prop we picked up for 20 bucks and it went down a storm. And that was pretty much it because we got the keys to the new unit on November 1st, which leads us to 2018. And this is where it got interesting in as much as we got a lot more land at our disposal. As annoyed as we were at losing our prior unit, which we really happened to like, by the way, the trade-off came in as much as we got a lot more land to play with, and the new owners were very gracious and kept telling us to expand our display year after year after year, and it's gotten quite big. Over the last five years since we've been here, we've touched upon the Nightmare Before Christmas in 2018, and in 2019, we actually fulfilled a big goal and did It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Now, 2020 obviously turned everyone's life upside down, including ours. When COVID began its rampage early in the year, we seriously contemplated not doing anything. But as the year progressed and things got really, really bleak for a while, we decided to go ahead and do it. 
The big request we were having for a number of years prior to that was the Adams Family, and we did a nice little facsimile that fit on the patio, and basically the rest of it for the next few years kind of followed the pattern of 2020, especially if you look at our Blogspot page. It was also at this point we started to invest in animatronic props. Yes, these things are frighteningly pricey at times, but the results we've had with them have been amazing. With talking jack-o'-lanterns, a huge werewolf that adorns our patio every year, and just for the record, kind of did in our themes on the patio for the next few years as well. We just kept putting all of our toys up there and like, eh, looks good, we'll stick with it. While the patio got fuller and fuller, the grounds itself as well got fuller and fuller as we invested more and more in inflatables. Now, a word or two on these things. Animatronics are great. These things are really expensive, but they give such a sparkle to your outfit. They're well worth the investment. In regards to inflatables, some people really don't like these things, and I can understand why, but we use a few of them for a couple of reasons. One, my wife is very fond of dragons. In fact, she thinks she's Queen Daenerys from Game of Thrones, but never mind. Next time I have an idea like that, punch me in the face. A big point of consideration too here is we live in an apartment complex, which means there's a lot of kids running around, and you have to be careful. I mean, we get people who come up to us every year saying it could be scarier, it could be creepier, etc., etc., but honestly, I don't want a bunch of therapy bills when these kids are traumatized because of something that we've done. We keep it playfully spooky. However, in the future, and I don't see us remaining at this apartment complex forever, but I've been wrong before, but we'll leave that alone for now. If we ever do end up in a house, rental or otherwise, we will definitely up the creepy factor quite a bit. This is fun, but Lisa and I have some of our ideas of our own, and unfortunately we don't feel like getting evicted at this point, so we just kind of play it at a mid-range and go with the flow. On a humorous note, in 2021 we attempted to do The Mummy's Tomb again, and while we did end up with a very nice set of walls for our patio, Egyptian-themed and all that, the mummy itself basically evolved from a really skinny mummy to the old man yelling at your kids to get off of his lawn by the end of the season. Never mind, we're not going to try that again. That guy's an idiot. By way of a conclusion here, I think the best thing I can offer is that try your local apartment complex for these of you who are dwelling in apartment complexes. A lot of them are open to the idea and don't mind the lawn being used. Trust me, grass seed is cheap. There are a few who did give us a bit of a fidget here and there over the years when we attempted to move, but we stayed put, but overall, a lot of these are very open to it. It really depends on who's running the joint, what the office ladies are like, and what the maintenance guys are, and there's your biggest arch enemy right there. We always got upended by them because the owners and the office people loved us to death. The groundskeepers, not so much. The other thing is consider your audience as well. If you want to do something full of blood and gore, go somewhere else or buy a house. If you want to do something mid-range and entertain the neighborhood kids, knock yourself out. I'm quite certain the neighbors will appreciate it. Heaven knows we've gotten a lot of support from ours. And always remember, make your next project your best one. And just for the record, my wife and I have no plans of stopping anytime soon. Comments, critiques, suggestions, drop me a line at erweister at woh.rr.com. I'll respond to every inquiry. And you got to buy me a cup of coffee, though, if you want a really long one. As I shamelessly plugged through the series, my own blog swap page, the Weister's 
Halloween Haunted Journal. I'm going to do so one more time before signing off. And I also wanted to shamelessly congratulate all the G hosts of the Big Scary Show, past, present, and future. Thank them for their involvement. And once again, 300 shows is a remarkable achievement, folks. Keep going. Don't you ever stop. It makes things worthwhile. Or at least enjoyable listening. Next time on the Vista, well, that may be a while. I'm going to go back into hibernation mode for the foreseeable future. But before I sign off, don't forget, you Godzilla nuts, and you know how I'm about this. November 17th, Apple TV launches Monarch Legacy of Monsters. December 1st sees the U.S. theatrical release of Godzilla Minus One. I'm particularly looking forward to that. And sometime next spring, we get Godzilla and Kong, the new Empire and theatrical release. So, a lot to look forward to. So, until then, everyone have a happy, safe Halloween. And always remember Sven Gulli's credo and brush your fangs, comb your face, drink your milk before it clots, and bite mama goodnight. And all of you have a wonderful spooky season, and I will see you sometime in the future, whenever that may be. Until then, take care, and happy hauntings. everyone, it's Drew Badger, and on behalf of the entire Big Scary Show crew, Storm, Meat Hook Jim, Jonna the Old Crone, the Haunstrumentalist Jerry Vane, Sylvia Vile, Wicked Wendy, even Tater, our super special correspondent, we would all like to wish you a very happy, spooky, and of course, safe Halloween. Don't forget, we're here after the season, all year long. So keep listening to The Big Scary Show. Happy Halloween, everyone. Hey, this is Dee Snyder, and you're listening to The Big Scary Show. That's right. I met him 15 years ago. I I was told there was nothing left. No reason, no conscience, no understanding, and even the most rudimentary sense of good or evil, right or wrong. I met this six-year-old child with the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. I spent eight years trying to reach him, and then another seven trying to keep him locked up because I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Van Helsing's Curse, Halloween, on The Big Scary Show.
So this is Jerry Vane, and I am here at the Oddities and Curiosities Expo in Denver, Colorado. And I am with the great high muckety-muck of this entire organization, Michelle. Michelle, it is crazy here today. Yeah, it's really busy. Denver is one of our busiest show every year. Now, how long has the... How long have you been doing this? How many years so far? Um, so we started in 2017 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and Denver was actually our first city that we traveled outside of our home state to do the expo in. So since 2017 here in Denver. So. Yeah, because I know Badger has been to several of these, and I apologize for that in advance. <laughs> um, but he, he told me, he said, the amount of people you're going to see at these conventions is just incredible. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I mean, he, he's right. It's, I mean, every city we go to, and we go to 31 different cities across the country, it's, I mean, people seem to love it. There's weirdos everywhere. <laughs> I call them extravagant in personalities, not weirdos, because then that makes me just feel like I'm one of them. Oh, I am one of them. What the hell am I talking about? Oh, yeah. So now, what type of, cro- for people who have not been here, what type of cross-section of vendors do you bring here? What What's kind of the demographic? Yeah, so I like to say the show is for lovers of the strange and unusual. So I have vendors from all over the country with all things weird. And that varies from, like, weird taxidermy, uh, creepy Halloween dark art style vendors, clothing, um, like gothic furniture, things like that. Um, We have antiques, vintage items, but everything is on the spectrum of strange, unusual, weird, bizarre. Baking goods. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you like, like, horror movies. When I say baking goods, I'm not talking dead things that you cook. Yeah, no, absolutely. You can come and get, you know, horror-themed food as well here. So, like, we really do try to have something weird for everyone, which is super important for me. And I'm looking at, we're over here in front of the merchandise table, and I'm seeing more merchandise table for the show than I am at most concerts. Oh, yeah. We do it up with merch. Um, We always have at least a couple t-shirts, scarves, posters, long sleeves, tank tops. Um, It's really really awesome because people love our merch. So, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's, it's such a different variety. I mean, you got your typical black and white then you got stuff that's just popping with gee orange and black i never would have thought that i know right weird colors weird <laughs> colors uh, yeah. but well i know you are slammed today because for obvious reasons it's busy so i'm going to let you get back to what you're doing but thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us yeah thank you so much for coming i really really appreciate it and we appreciate it as well and uh if you're out and about and you see this i highly recommend and if you're even in the slightest into weird shit um yeah go go anyway this is jerry vane for the big scare show i am out hey it's tater just wishing everybody that listens to this crappy show a good old happy halloween by the way badger uh for some reason your halloween costume came a bag of a bag of ziploc bags and a bottle of vinegar looks like you're going as a douchebag again this year happy halloween everybody Ready to dress up your show? Need to pump new life into old props? Just want to show something no one else has? Do what Alice Cooper, Distortions Unlimited, and A-list haunters all over the world do. Wear Von Karam. Durable, handcrafted, dependable, year after year. Von Karam. When you scare enough to wear the very best. Von Karam.com. V-O-N. C-H-A-R-O-N dot com. As we slide back into the swamp where we hid the body, we would like to thank the following sponsors. Screamline Studios. Creepy Collection. Dark Imaginings. 
Fright Finder, Haunt Pay, Von Caron Productions, and VFX Creates. We'd also like to thank Virgil Franklin, Master of the Ether Muse. And we couldn't do this without the three ghosts, including Badger, Haunt Consulting and more, rabidbadger.org. Meat Hook Jim, check out his other podcast at wrestlehorror.com. And Storm, Rants and more, hauntminute.com. And finally, you, the listener. Without you, we are nothing. The Big Scary Show is copyright Big Scary Show LLC, and no rebroadcast of this show may be made without express permission of the owners. All music used on The Big Scary Show is used with expressed permission of the artists themselves.